Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, I know what I forgot to do. I've got the birdies outside uh, singing away. I've got a gorgeous day here in uh, in the panhandle of Florida on the Gulf Coast, uh, very close to the, the Alabama line here, uh, the second county in from uh, Alabama. Um, but I forgot to fill my water container. <laughs> so, you know, I got, I've got uh, only so much left. So at some point here, probably in the next half hour, I'm going to have to take a, a, a commercial break and then just race around till my water come racing back. Hopefully I can do that within a minute. Because if not, you're going to hear dead air, and we really don't want to hear dead air. Uh, and I don't know if I want to play a two-minute thing. It shouldn't take me that long. It takes me about 30 seconds. So I've timed this. I've done this before. So, uh, so that's, that's the pebble in my shoe today, the little thing that drives you crazy. Uh, a lot of times, I'll just forget something. I mean, every time I do a show, I forget something. Just a question of what and when. So uh, just to keep it real, just to keep you, uh, uh, just to let you know I'm a real person with real problems and real, real foibles and real goose, that's what happens. Okay, so today... Uh, like yesterday, I'm the only one here, and and so I think all my reporters have abandoned me, and so this must be either a really busy time, uh, or something's going on, or maybe they just had enough of Action Radio. I'll I'll, I'll find out. I'll ask them and say, you guys had enough? I mean, we're, we're just about to break out, you know, huge. So you know, stick around. This is about to get fun, uh, but we'll find out. Anyway, so I've got uh, so CJ's busy today, and so I've got the whole three hours. So what I thought I'd do uh, was play another one of my WEBY classic interviews. And I'm looking last night through this whole selection of stuff. There's more. I did, uh, I was on starting on March 1st uh, all the way to Friday the 13th of July uh, uh, 2018. So 2017, March 1st, 2017 till the 13th, uh, Friday the 13th uh, of July on 2018. And I was on every weekday. I don't think I took a break. Um, maybe Thanksgiving and Christmas you know, when the station was actually closed. But uh, other than that, I was on all the holidays. You know, we broadcast on the holidays. And so I got a bunch of really amazing interviews. Uh, sometimes I just talk to callers, but a lot of times I had guests. And when you have a radio station, it's a lot easier to get guests because the radio station gets the guests. And a lot of times the, everybody knows the station around here. So for local guests, it was easier. Um, and the station already had, you know, like I say, a bunch of had, folks that I already had on. So, I mean, I had a really good selection of guests. And I had uh, Mike Bates helping me there at uh, 1330 AM WEBY. And so for me, it was the perfect environment. I made mistakes. I was new. Uh, Mike was really patient, uh, but occasionally I got him a little upset, you know, but uh, now if I screw up, it's just me. I get upset myself, but I've got a better idea of what I'm doing. Uh, Marco's checking in from the Netherlands, so he's there. So that's good. So we're already international this morning and uh, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting day. So I'm looking through my selection of things that I can broadcast from uh, five years ago and, and actually six years ago. And it's really interesting. It's really interesting to see uh, and hear some of the things that went on then. And of course, this was during the Trump administration. So these interviews were done at a time when America was great again. Uh, it was, you know, 27, 2018. So Trump uh, was inaugurated January 20th. Uh, that's when Matt Gates was also, uh, my congressman, uh, was, uh, was uh, put in, I guess, oh, I forget what they call it for Congress, seated, <laughs> I guess the congressional session starts. And so Matt Gates was new, Donald Trump was new, I was new to radio, everything was new. So they started in January. I started in March, so a couple months later. And so it was great. All of us were new. It was really exciting because I was at a new station. I was at a place I'd never been before, Florida, the Northwest uh, uh, Gulf Coast. Never been here before. I've been to Florida before. I just hadn't been up here. Um, the whole Pensacola area, 
So everything was new. Gates was new. I went to Congress. I was new here. Trump was new to the presidency. It was really exciting. And so most of the interviews are extremely optimistic. Uh, then, of course, you know, COVID hit, and, and I was actually uh, dumped from WBY before then because uh, in July, uh, the station was bought out by another station, and they promptly fired me, and then shortly thereafter, everybody else. And so that's how that went. That's radio. That, that's, believe me, it's very common in radio. It's just funny that I was first. <laughs> you know, and the reason it's funny is because uh, I had just made broadcast history uh, with Matt Gates writing legislation on the show for the citizenship, the um, – uh, the mandatory question on the census to include citizenship. And so I'm going to bring it back up with him once I get a chance. I'm going to go see his office here uh, um, sometime, well, today, tomorrow. I haven't quite decided. I, I'm going to get out there, maybe next week. But uh, I'll let you know when I do. And so that will give me a chance to hopefully talk to his staff, definitely talk to his staff, hopefully talk to him, and we'll see, uh, we'll see if we can get him back on. All right, so I'm looking through, and I came upon an interview that I did that was somebody I just met uh, totally by accident, uh, Jeremy Galt. And Jeremy was a chaplain in our prison here uh, in Santa Rosa County. And it was a fascinating conversation. Uh, in fact, the, the, the funny part about this is I looked him up on Facebook this morning as I'm you know, going over the recording because I have to edit out the commercials and send the news breaks and things like that. So I'm going to take all that stuff out. Uh, occasionally, the phone numbers are still there, the WEBY identification. I don't mind leaving that in because at least it identifies it as a previous interview. So everybody knows you know, what's going on uh, in the interest of full disclosure. But I was trying to get Jeremy on this morning after that interview, because I've never done a show where I've had, I've interviewed somebody uh, six years ago and then had him on. It's like, well, what did, what's happened since, you know, where are we now? So I thought that was kind of cool, but he can't do it, but I'm going to get him back. Cause he's a really interesting guy. He's a pastor in a local church and just, but at the time, he was uh, and had been a prison chaplain for three years. And so if you want to know what's going on in prison, you ask the people who work there. And so that's what I did. So that's going to be in the second hour. Third hour, I haven't figured out yet. So we're pretty much open. In fact, Marco, if, uh, over there in the Netherlands, if you have some topics you want me to look up or research, uh, or if you ever want to send me a, a website that I should report on during the show, I mean, feel free to do that. So we're going to make Marco our European reporter. And so he's responsible. He's, he's there in the Netherlands. Uh, and so, oh, that's right. I've got to look up. I, I copied the website from yesterday uh, about your town. I'll, I'll get to that in a little bit. Anyway, so we've got a lot of time. Uh, anybody wants to call in, 215-383-3832. Uh, you're listening to us either live or podcast at blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Please share that website. Also, our, our website for all our bills, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. My substack is gregpenglis.com. Substack.com. I suppose I could tape those up. I might, I might tape those up during a break and, and put them uh, on the live chat. But they're actually, no, I don't have to. They're on the broadcast page. So all these websites I'm giving you are right there on the broadcast page, right at the top. Just check the notes. And there they are. Um, also, we have our discounts. We have our discount code is WYL for everything that stands for Write Your Laws. Uh, and those are there. And the only other site uh, that I should be giving is our contribution site, givesendgo.com slash action radio, which is also there on the broadcast page. So all the notes and things are, are there for you. All right. Let's get to the news today. So there's a huge amount of fallout. Um, yesterday, we discussed the complete disgust and were disgusted by the complete betrayal of Fox News um, to the First Amendment, to journalism, uh, wimping out, caving, paying um, almost a billion dollars to a company that stole the election. And uh, the, the hypocrisy and the wimpishness uh, of that uh, absolutely defies all description. But that's what they did. So we know that Fox knows that uh, Dominion voting machines stole the election. Dominion knows that Dominion machines stole the election. That's what they were designed to do. 
So the idea, this is, this is the insanity of all this, the idea that the company that reported truthfully um, that, or even just the rumors, you know, that the, the 20, I don't know, how, how did they report it exactly? Because they've been kind of uh, cagey about it. I guess they reported that Trump said that the election was stolen. And somehow that was defamation. Why don't they sue Trump directly? Everybody else does, you know. But you know, and of course, the other thing is now that uh, now that Fox News is paying, you know, almost a billion dollars to uh, Dominion uh, for stealing the election uh, and telling the truth about it, which is which is you think the legal system is fair and just? This proves that that, that something that our justice system has been taken over by the illegal coup. Uh, stole the election using Dominion voting machines and doesn't want the story out there. So they've actually made Fox pay for uh, telling the, the, or at least rumored to be telling the truth of what Trump said. So if that's the case, then Trump can certainly sue, uh, you know, CNN, the Communist News Network, MSNBC, you know, the malicious, you know, nasty, <laughs> what is it, MS, uh, malicious, sadistic, uh, nasty, uh, bureaucratic. Uh, Communist, <laughs> MSNBC. I just making that stuff up. Anyway, hey, look, you guys, you want to come after me? Go ahead. Just spell my name right, and uh, here I am. You know, two one five three eight three three eight three two. So, if any of you nasty news services, any of you socialist, dictatorial, uh, liberal Nazi news services want to come after me, go ahead. I mean, first of all, my ratings will go up. Yours won't. Um, secondly, I don't have the money, so you're not going to get anything out of me. And thirdly, I'd love to take you on single-handedly if I have to. Wouldn't be much of a challenge because I got the truth on my side, and you don't. You're a bunch of liars. You know, anyway, so, so that's the fun part about it. So Fox had the truth on their side, but they didn't use it. You know, just like Marjorie Taylor Greene had truth on her side in her trial. But her lawyer said, say that you uh, forgot, uh, say that you don't remember mentioning that the election was stolen. Well, that's a bunch of BS, and everybody knows it. Marjorie Taylor Greene knows it. So she gives up her integrity. She gives up everything she believes in, you know, in saying that the election was stolen. Is now saying that the election was stolen because I guess the lawsuit's over. Uh, and she has, she has her seat for another couple of years. But that's, that's hypocrisy. And that's going to come back to bite her because they're going to sue her again next time she runs. They're going to try and kick her off the ballot. They're going to take her testimony. And they say, well, you, you said you forgot you know, that uh, you said the election was stolen. And then right after the trial, you said the election was stolen. That's going to come back to haunt her. So that was a stupid ploy by her lawyers. Her lawyers were idiots, morons, complete fools. Uh, and, and she should have known that. She's smarter than that. But don't trust Republican leaning lawyers. You know, uh, Jonathan Mosley, who's our legal reporter, knows full well that Republican lawyers are, for the most part, idiots, morons, cowards. They can't do their job. Uh, I do a better job, and I'm not a lawyer. But at least I would stand up for my client, you know, especially if it was me. <laughs> so, so that's what's going on. So anyway, so Fox betrayed everybody. They betrayed journalism. They betrayed the country. They betrayed the truth. They betrayed uh, Donald Trump, they betrayed, who won the election. Uh, they basically betrayed everything. And actually, they paid the people who stole the election to not say that they stole the election. <laughs> it's really fascinating. So we're, we're through the looking glass here, folks. We're in very bizarre times. But that's what's going on. And so the fallout's only going to get worse because One American News, they were broadcasting this morning. Oh, actually, it was last night. I, I, cut, I cut the repeat this morning. Uh, Dan Ball um, played all the, uh, the leftists uh, all who reported on CNN that the 2016 election was stolen by Dominion voting machines. <laughs> it's hysterical. So apparently you can't find them on YouTube anymore because it would be a little inconvenient uh, to have Fox News pay almost a billion dollars for things that CNN said for you know, the better part of 2016 uh, or, or probably 2017, that the election was stolen, that you can't trust Dominion voting machines. But you see, the left didn't sue them because Dominion said uh, Dominion was actually working for the left. So how they get how they got around that? I, I don't really know, but it, it'd be a, a good journalistic uh, research project to find out how Dominion didn't sue any of the liberals. 
you know, they must have, or, you know, or it's like the liberals can get away with it. See, there's two standards of justice. There's leftists can do what they want and conservatives can't do anything. I mean, that's the standard right now in America today. So I get censored, you know, because I tell the truth. And the leftist sites lie like crazy and they're protected and they have the courts behind them. Well, the courts work for the government and the government's illegal. So we went through that whole thing yesterday. So if you want to get the whole story, listen to the third hour yesterday. And, of course, I'm going to bring it up with Jonathan again, too. And so that's going to be very interesting to find out uh, what happened there. You know, and uh, well, how's it playing over in Europe, Marco? You know, if he gets a chance to type in um, the, the Fox News scandal, uh, because they, they absolutely caved. And this is going to be a horrible precedent. You know, so uh, it's going to be a little tougher. For, well, let's see what Trump does. First of all, the first thing Trump has to do when he gets back is fire pretty much everybody in the Justice Department. You've got to get rid of them all. Um, abolish the FBI. Uh, they're a communist, uh, dictatorial, uh, secret police force that has no justification in the Constitution. Uh, so they, they, legally, they can't exist. Same thing with the ATF. In fact, there's a bunch of agencies in the federal government and departments that legally, constitutionally cannot exist. Well, of course, get rid of them. Um, that's the first thing. Next thing, the intelligence agencies, all 17 of them, we'd probably be better off with, I don't know, two, maybe three. Uh, that should do it. All right, let me get, check my announcements here. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Patriot's Day. Who reported on Patriot's Day? We did. <laughs> did anybody else? The only other coverage I saw, and this is even on, uh, kind of surprised me on One American News. The only other coverage of Patriot's Day, April 19th, the day of the Warsaw Ghetto, the day of the start of our, our war for independence, uh, the day that uh, the Clinton administration massacred the Branch Davidians at Waco, uh, the day that uh, Timothy McVeigh, you know, partially, along with the government, I believe, blew up the uh, Murrah building. You know, because it's uh, a lot of engineers have looked at the Murrah building. This is Oklahoma City two years after Waco and said that if you look at the building pattern, it looks like demolition charges. There's no way that an ammonium nitrate or any bomb, you know, when a bomb explodes, it goes out in all directions at once. Well, if you look at uh, the, the building, go, I'm gonna go ahead and check it out. Check out the New American, check out the pictures of the Murrah building. Uh, there's like a round cut out of it, but there's exactly the same amount of damage to the top floors as the bottom floors. Well, that's impossible for a, a bomb that blew up at street level. At street level, most of the blast would be the bottom few floors, and it'd be less and less on the way up to the top. In fact, the top floors probably shouldn't even been touched at all. But if you look at the building, the, the damage to the top, damage to the bottom is exactly the same, like it was brought down by demolition charges, which, of course, is what, uh, what we all suspect. Same thing with uh, the World Trade Center. Oh, I'm sure they were hit by, by airplanes because uh, I saw them go in. I don't doubt that. But, uh, but why did they collapse? so neatly, you know, and fall so perfectly down, demolition charges, <laughs> okay? That's how you do it, you know? And, and, and the fact that, uh, and, and the giveaway is building number seven of the World Trade Center that fell down completely, perfectly, neatly, and it wasn't hit by an airplane. So explain that one. Well, we don't want to explain that one. That would uh, give away the secret. Or the, the, the lack of airplane wreckage at the Pentagon. And I've had people dispute it, you know, and I guess they saw wreckage, I don't know. You know, in this day and age, there's got to be pictures. So you show me a picture of wreckage around the, the Pentagon of an airplane, of the, of the airline that, you know, of the exact airplane that allegedly flew in there. Well, something, like I say, most people think it was a missile or something else. But, uh, you know, it, it's like, I don't know how the government either knows these things, is staging these things, is letting terrorists do it, you know, rather than prevent it, much like Pearl Harbor. We know Roosevelt. Uh, knew that Pearl Harbor was coming. That's why he sent out the aircraft carriers because he needed them to beat the Japanese. But he didn't want a bunch of World War One destroyer uh, battleships flying around because they were already obsolete. So he lets 3,000 sailors get killed. He lets uh, a bunch of World War One battleships that we can't use 
get sunk uh, in Pearl Harbor, and the aircraft carriers that were necessary to win the war were all out to sea. Tell me that's not a coincidence. Okay, I'm sorry. It doesn't, it doesn't, I won't buy it. All right, so that's what I think of that. All right, so Fox News, so Patriots Day. The only thing I heard mentioned on Patriots Day was One American News, where they talked about Oklahoma City and the terrorist bombing by Timothy McVeigh, who was executed for that, by the way. Uh, and he was a former Army medic. He saved soldiers That's you know, in combat. So it's not like this guy did this for no reason, but he, he, uh, he did the wrong thing. Now, I protest the government, too, but I don't blow things up, and I never will, because that's crime. Uh, what I did was start Action Radio to change legislation. And if you want to change things, you, you change them. You don't blow things up. That's for idiots, uh, criminals, and, and just horrible people. You don't do that. Uh, and certainly you don't give the government the excuse to uh, you know, combine demolition charges with your ammonium nitrate fertilizer bomb. You know, I'm not sure how powerful those things are anyway. Anyway, so but the point is that Patriot's Day passed, uh, and all the things that happened on Patriot's Day were ignored. The start of our war for independence, the Warsaw Ghetto, uh, Waco, um, Oklahoma, a little bit was mentioned on Oklahoma, and, and some other th- And, of course, the, the Boston Marathon bombings wasn't touched at all either. What, because they're Muslim? <laughs> you know, yeah, but it's just fascinating to me. But, you know, they're white people too, so it's okay to demonize white people, even if they're Muslim, I think. I don't know. It depends what the political correctness is, which reminds me of another story that um, I, I hadn't in, had in my notes here, but it just popped in my head. So I might as well uh, talk about this now and then I'll take a break and get some water <laughs> for my my uh, I, I get kind of paranoid of this thing when I don't have enough water. It, it's just crazy because I've been talking a lot lately. I was talking a lot last night, you know, do a lot of phone calls, a lot of messages. Um, hopefully my voice will hold out this morning, but we'll see, you know. I guess I got that radio gravel that, that, that might be uh, uh, hopefully easier to listen to. We'll find out. So there's a story of a man, an 84-year-old man, who has a really ugly picture that's circulating all over the news to make him look terrible. Uh, and then you have a picture of a young black man. Uh, I think he's 16, who's, uh, you know, uh, looks good. A very attractive picture, big smile, you know, looks like a, you know, healthy young kid, good, wholesome American kid, right? And so, you, but he's black. And so that means that when he gets shot by an 84-year-old white guy who looks really ugly, uh, it's easy to demonize the white guy. Now, um, you take your typical 84-year-old, and this is something that people aren't talking about. And what, is the, what does your typical 84-year-old see on the news? Hordes of young black people looting stores, rioting in the streets. Well, what would you think? You know, the question is, black America, why are young black people committing all these crimes? Their perception is the reality. If the news is photographing thousands upon thousands of, of black youth rioting, blowing up cars, police cars included, looting stores, and someone comes to your door at night and they, you don't know who they are and you identify them? Now, was the shooting the right thing to do? No, of course not. You know, I mean, was this person posing a threat? See, there's a fine line. If you, if you know anything about self-defense, someone has to pose a threat. They can't just knock on your door. If everybody who knocked on the door, you know, uh, was shot, you know, those of us who, who have part-time delivered pizza, including me, you know, would be in trouble. It's interesting. The pizza guy is the hero for tripping up the, uh, the perp in that case. But I don't condone what this man did, but I understand why he did it. Because if you have uh, a young black person, you know, and all you've seen for the last few years since Black Lives Matter got going and the Trump campaign and, and all the different protests of young black people, uh, looting, rioting, and doing everything else, and, and literally beating up people in stores and other places, especially that, that, uh, that couple, the white woman and, the, and, the, and her black boyfriend, who were beat up by a black crowd. 
what would you think someone comes to your door? One person? Uh, I, you know, it's natural to be suspicious, especially if you're 80, 84. Now, they don't take into account that an 84-year-old is usually pretty vulnerable. It's not like they're going to be big into Taekwondo and defensive things. Well, maybe some 84-year-olds. But for the most part, he doesn't look like somebody that's really well-versed in self-defense. And so you've got an 84-year-old guy, stranger comes to the store. Now, what he should have done, of course, is identified, said, I have a gun. Who are you? What do you want here? And, you know, they should have talked to each other <clears throat> through the locked door, through the closed door. I mean, you can do that. That's what should have happened. Of course, hindsight's perfect, right? I and mean, we can always say what should have happened. But that's what should have happened. The, the, the old man should have said, who are you? What are you doing here? And the young man would have said, I'm looking for my brothers. Uh, they're supposed to be at this address. And he said, well, there's no young kids here. Check your address. End of conversation. Would have ended peacefully, all right? Hopefully, <laughs> you know, but uh, as, long as, as long as the young man wasn't trying to break in, he actually rang the doorbell. Most people who are invading your house don't ring the doorbell. They just break in. So there's your first clue. People who are, are going to raid your house don't ring the doorbell, stand at the front door and say, hi, here I am. <laughs> so that should have been a real clue. So the guy screwed up. He broke the law. You know, he shot at somebody uh, and he's going to claim self-defense, but uh, you can't really do that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not justifying the crime. I'm not excusing the crime. And I'm not talking about punishing the crime. All, all that's going to take place. What I'm talking about is perception. And the idea that this man is being demonized after watching looters and rioters of young black people for the last several years, you know, there's a perception in this country that's real. And, the real pro- and, and so the question is to you know, the black youth of America, why are you doing this? So let's, uh, let's, let's talk about that. Now, of course, there are other situations. There was a... a uh, uh, a white woman who went down the wrong place and, you know, parked in the wrong driveway and she got shot and killed. But that's okay because she's white. You know, I mean, it, it's the double standard. You know, the double standards are everywhere. Uh, for every George Floyd, who actually died of a heart attack from a fentanyl overdose uh, while he was being restrained by the white police officer, uh, there was a white guy who was killed by a black police officer in Dallas. Pretty much the same way with, a, with his throat being uh, squished by the knee of a police officer. Didn't hear about that. Okay. So, We've got to get the racial element out of this and deal with the crime and deal with the real situation. So the double standard is horrible. And so this man deserves a really good lawyer, um, not because of what he did, but because of the, the, the uh, horrible news reporting demonizing him because he's an old white guy that shot a young black kid. That's the problem. All right. What's, um, I got some stuff to do. I got some, some, uh, a bunch of articles for you, but those are just the things that come to mind here. Okay. Oh, yeah. One more, thing. one more thing before I take a break. This is kind of interesting. Um, there's a real hatred for Dr. Fascist out there. So for my new listeners, Dr. Fascist is, is Anthony Fauci. And I call him that. I also call him the genocidal, psychopathic, avaricious, narcissistic, pathologically lying vaccine drug pusher. That's Dr. Fascist. So I put up a post on Facebook. You know, it's one of the avatars with, you know, the flames in the background and me looking really angry, saying, I'm trying to think of the, the appropriate punishment for Dr. Fascist. And I said, solitary confinement, eating live bugs, you know, for the rest of his life comes to mind. <laughs> and, and I thought that was pretty bad. <laughs> then you should see the comments. People are like, they're really going all out. This guy's hated, and he should be hated. He's killed a million people in the United States. He's killed six million people worldwide. He's pushed a vaccine that he knew wasn't a vaccine that he knew was dangerous, made a ton of money off it, probably, you know, billions, at least several million dollars. But he potentially made a billion or two um, off, off this, uh, this horrible chemical that Pfizer has injected. They've made, billions, they've made billions off this. Big tech's made billions by investing in Pfizer. And it's all for nothing because we had early treatments and there's no reason for uh, hardly anybody to die. From COVID, the only people who, who uh, should have died by of COVID were, I mean, from it, not with it, but from it, are those few 
older folks who are extremely vulnerable who would have died of something anyway, you know, within the, the relative short term. But those are the people that usually die of, of flu and colds and other common diseases. Why? Because they're old. We all get old. You know, not there yet. <laughs> Got some shows to do first, but I'll get there. We all do. So the question is, what do you do in the meantime? Anyway, but the point is that you look at the math. Uh, the math of COVID is very straightforward. So a million people died, you know, both from and with COVID. Well, those that died from it are only about 6%. So 6% of a million is 60,000. Of those 60,000, uh, the doctors like Dr. Zelenko, all the early other folks, McCullough and Malone, they all said they could have saved about 90% of the people with early treatments. So that leaves 6,000. So, so of the million people that were killed by government policy, only about 6,000 should have died from COVID. Well, 6,000 is a whole lot less than a million. In fact, 6,000 is a whole lot less than the 80,000 that die of flu every year, even with the flu shot. Probably because of the flu shot. I think more people get flu from the flu shot than anything else. I've never had a flu shot. And the last time I had flu, I think I was, what, 12? <laughs> it's been a while. I had neurovirus um, about 20 years ago. Yeah. After a cruise, I caught neurovirus, which is like the worst flu bug ever. I mean, it was horrible. I was like throwing up for three days. I was miserable. But I got over it, you know, because never had a sense because, you know, my body, once it gets a disease, it learns. You know, I had COVID. Uh, here's the irony of, of COVID. The irony of COVID is really interesting because I, I'm, I'm convinced I had COVID because I had all the symptoms, right? So that's how they diagnosed this. Uh, so I had COVID uh, beginning of uh, January 2020, before we even knew what COVID was. So I had it, was over it, had my immunity before anybody was even talking about what it was. It was late January that Trump banned uh, travel from China. Uh, and in February, we, of course, did what we did, declared the, the government response a hoax, declared COVID not that big a deal, uh, declared that we had early treatments, that chloroquine works, that there is uh, no pandemic and everything will be fine if we just, you know, just uh, take, uh, take our chloroquine and uh, our uh, zinc and uh, we'll be fine. Then hydroxychloroquine, which is hydrogen and oxygen, hydroxy, right? Add to the chloroquine, which is like a chlorine molecule, Chlorine, you know, the stuff that stops polio in the swimming pools? Well, it's all the same stuff. So hydrogen, oxygen, and chlorine kill COVID <laughs> with zinc, which destroys the genetic material. Well, zinc's commonly available. You know, get in pumpkin seeds and other sources. You can take supplemental zinc. But uh, that was the cure, the cure for COVID. Uh, of course, doctors don't say cure. They say treatment. But I'm not a doctor, so I can say cure. The cure for COVID was freedom. And in fact, that's my next Substack article. Well, I'm working on another one, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'll talk about, uh, why freedom was the cure for COVID. I should write that down like that. Freedom is the cure. Freedom always was the cure for COVID. Anyway, so, uh, I have no idea where I was going with this, but, uh, uh let me see if I can check my notes. Cause I actually had a reason for, oh yeah, Dr. Fascist. So his, you know, his punishments, people are really, you know, they want, they want him in terrible places. But, uh, the point is that the cure for COVID was always freedom, that freedom of information, freedom not to participate uh, in these unconstitutional mandates and lockdowns and masks and closures, you know, the freedom to say, screw you, government, I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, COVID would have been over in a few months. You know, it would have run from January to about June. And it would have been done. I've got the CDC charts to prove it. By July, oh, actually July, not June, but by July of 2020, COVID death rates were heading for zero. I think it was 300 the week before, you know, mid, early July. So by the mid of July, death rates should have been, I don't know, at most 100 people within a nation of 330 million is not a lot of people. But then they started fudging the numbers and everything else changed. And of course the government went crazy because they had to preserve COVID uh, until their uh, non-vaccine vaccines came out uh, in December. And the way they preserved COVID was they made everybody sick with isolation, stress, masks, lockdowns, closures, uh, took away their finances, took away their businesses, took away their lives. 
So, so Americans basically their churches. You know, so Americans lost you know everything that they that they enjoyed and everything that they loved and everything they held sacred, uh, and that, all the stress of that. That's how they preserved COVID uh, until the non-vaccine jab came out. Pretty simple stuff. All right. Let me take a break and fill my water can, my water container here, my stainless steel, beautiful water container. <laughs> anyway, when I come back, I've got an article by uh, Judy Mikovits, who's a friend of the show. She's been on a bunch. Uh, she's supporting uh, Robert Francis Kennedy Jr. for president, uh, and I do too, for the Democrat side. So I'm in this interesting position. So I know folks that know uh, Trump. I know folks that know uh, uh, Robert Kennedy. I just have to get them to nudge them to get them on the show. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, the best candidate, Democrat candidate, is Robert Francis. Robert Francis Kennedy Jr. and the best Republican candidate is Donald Trump Jr. It's interesting they're both juniors, huh? All right. Anyway, uh, let me play you some stuff here. Race around, you know, mute my my thing, and hopefully I'll make it back. And I've got 58 seconds. Let's see if I can do this. Be right back. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, W-Y-L, to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Well, it looks like I made it with about eight seconds to spare. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws 
by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. All right, let's get down to the newsroom and see what's going on there. And hot off the presses. So I got a little bit of time now before the top of the hour when I want to play you a, a very special interview. But, it, you know, it's, it's about 42 minutes. That's about what these one-hour interviews work out to once you take out the commercials, news breaks, things like that. So there's about, I guess, you know, 18 minutes of nonsense that we have to play in commercial radio that I don't have to worry about. I just play my own announcements. So I actually get more time per show uh, than most other people. So you get an hour guest. They, get a, they actually get a whole hour, you know, uh, unlike a lot of other places. So I got a bunch of news, a bunch of things up here. Um, and so let me find, let me see if I can get my, uh, my Judy, my, ah, here we go. So one of the, the, the great things about radio is it's been my pleasure to, uh, um, be in contact and talk to some really incredible people. One of those folks is Dr. Judy Mikovits, molecular biologist, biochemist, genius, probably one of the greatest scientists in the world today. Uh, absolutely hates Dr. Fascist because Dr. Fascist had her arrested when she did what a lot of other folks do, you know, you know, hopefully me included, which is tell the truth. And so she knew that AGT wasn't the cure for AIDS, uh, even though Dr. Fascist was pushing it because there's money in it. You know, there was a drug called Bactrin, uh, Bactrin or Bactrim, I spelled with an N or an M. So Bactrin was this drug that these New York doctors um, uh, tested on their own with their own money uh, and found that that was one of the greatest ways to suppress uh, the AIDS uh, virus uh, and not get HIV was with this drug Bactrin. But of course, you know, Bactrin was uh, what hydroxychloroquine is today. It was a cheap you know, readily available, you know, what they call a repurpose. In other words, it was created for one thing, but it actually works really well, you know, to do something else. So AIDS could have been stopped very quickly with Bactrin, but they didn't want to do it because the, the goal was not stopping AIDS. The goal was making money from it. Same thing with, uh, with COVID. The goal of COVID was not stopping COVID. The goal with COVID was to make money from it. You know, it's like cancer. You know, could we have cured cancer 50 years ago? Probably. You know, you know what causes it. I mean, the, the causes are fairly well known. So you avoid the causes and you go, you go a long way to not getting cancer. Um, but, what, you know, you, you would think that the mechanism would have been discovered by now or at least have been a cancer vaccine. <laughs> that would be really interesting. But no, they haven't done it. Why? You know, probably because there's more money in cancer treatments than there is in cancer vaccines, which is kind of staggering to think about. But that's probably why we don't have uh, cures for cancer, because, you know, there's more money in treatment. There's more money in treatment for most things. That's why they don't cure them even though they probably could. But the, the rumor that, uh, you know, you don't see a lot of doctors getting cancer. Well, how about that? Well, they, they probably have access to better medicine. 
because they're doctors. You know, who knows? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just speculating. Anyway, so one of my friends on the show is Judy Mikovits. Judy is the only person who is actively promoting our vaccine product liability bill in the country at every conference. She, everybody she talks to, uh, although she didn't put it in this article here, so I have to, I have to post uh, um, a comment. You know, hey, Judy, guess what you forgot? <laughs> I'll do that at the end of the show or, or the next. I meant to do it before the show, but I, I guess I forgot. So um, you can go to Judy Mikovits uh, Substack column, uh, The Real Dr. Judy Data. Uh, and she's got a headline here, Moral Courage and Our Common Future. How does Robert Francis Kennedy Jr.'s run for president restore our faith in the promise of real political choice for the first time in decades? Okay, so she's more of a of a Robert Kennedy fan than a Trump fan. Well, that's fine. I mean, when, when Judy and I talk, we don't really talk politics so much. We talk about issues, and the issue, of course, is vaccine product liability. It's the number one issue. But I did a show recently um, talking about um, how Robert Francis Kennedy and Donald Trump, both juniors, by the way, Donald Trump Jr. and Robert Francis Kennedy Jr. You know, uh, that's kind of interesting too. Uh, with those two running for their respective parties, uh, RFK Democrat and Trump Republican, basically blocks out the deep state because the deep state hates both of them. So this would be the first non-deep state election in quite a while because you know uh, Clinton and whoever he opposed, that was deep state. Clinton was supposed to win. Obama, the, the, you know, Mitt Romney and uh, John McCain, Obama was supposed to win. So Bush, you know, globalist against whoever he, whatever Democrat he was going after, um, Bush was supposed to win. So the deep state, you know, picks the winners. Uh, they, they, they run this sham of a primary where people vote for the, the few choices, uh, but they engineer the choices that people will make so they get the right uh, people running. And by the time you get to the general election, you've got you know, one deep state candidate versus another deep state candidate. And so the deep state doesn't care who wins because they've already picked two people they can uh, put up with. And so they're happy with that. You know, whether, you know, so, uh, so that's how it works. Now, this time it's different. All right? This time it's fascinating because the Democrats hate Robert Francis Kennedy and the Republicans hate Donald Trump Jr., this is great, you know. So you got so so this is the non deep state election. So uh, so the the question is is the deep state going to cheat for RFK um, or for Trump? Well, not going to cheat for Trump. They're cheated against Trump. But are they going to cheat for RFK? I don't know. You know, let's see what Hillary and Michelle Obama do. Both of which are, are are so dangerous for the country it doesn't matter. So this is what Judy says. She says God chooses our path. It's up to us to answer His call. Well, okay, God, I'm doing my best with Action Radio. So if you have any uh, uh, guidance, you know, feel free. Just pop the idea into my head and let's see what happens. All right. So Judy says, with its divinely timed release, I was honored to have Bobby Kennedy Jr. write the foreword to our book, Plague of Corruption, published April 14th, 2020, three years ago last week. Only five days after the anniversary, Bobby Kennedy Jr. has announced his run for the presidency. See, Judy calls him Bobby. I asked her about that on the show. I said, wait a minute, Judy, you, you, you call, you know, RFK Jr. Bobby? She says, everybody who knows him calls him Bobby. I said, can I call him Bobby? <laughs> Let's find out. All right, so we're, we're going to see what happens if, uh, when, when Bobby comes on the show. Uh, it'll, it'll be Mr. Kennedy probably, <laughs> you know, at first. And if he says, call me Bobby, then it's okay. Um, I, I hope that people don't discriminate against him because of his voice uh, disease. Because he does have a hard time talking, you know. But if you listen, you can hear understand everything he says. Then, then Judy says, see, I call Dr. Judy Mike. Everybody else calls her Dr. Mikevitz. I call her Judy because I've known her for, for several years now. Anyway, she says, uh, only five days. Oh, yeah, I read that part. Then he got her book, Plague of Corruption. Da, 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 da. Then she says, like me, Bobby Kennedy's path to becoming one of the country's leading activists to challenging the status 
of the vaccine schedules and the crimes committed since the implementation of H.R. 5546, National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986, was not his choice, but rather a set of circumstances that left him unable to not answer God's call. As a man of moral courage and one who puts our common future in front of his own, he has now taken the biggest single uh, step, step to run for the president. His, uh, you know, the office that forever changed his life, including the assassination of his uncle and father. So you got to think about that, too. Okay? Because, you know, there are wackos out there that are going to want to get uh, a Kennedy just because of their, you know, he's a Kennedy. So he's going to have ridiculous uh, Secret Service and probably personal protection, too. You know, and more power to him. You know, keep him around. He's an interesting person. Gee, Greg, he's a Democrat. What do you care? Well, because I'm nonpartisan. You know, I don't care. Democrat, Republican doesn't matter to me. That's why I support the two people. You've got the least Democrat, Democrat, and the least Republican, Republican in Donald Trump and Robert Kennedy. That's what makes this election so fascinating. I'm surprised more people haven't picked up on this. This is the first non-deep state election uh, probably since Ronald Reagan was elected. So, so the Republicans hated Ronald Reagan because he's basically, well, he was not quite as good as Trump at uh, being opposed to government. He was good. He made a good speech. But if you look at his record, he's the one that actually signed um, the bill that uh, took away product liability from uh, Big Pharma for vaccines. Well, that was insane. Nobody in their right mind would give a company that injects things into your body freedom from any liability for injecting strange things into your body. That's absurd. That's irrational. That's dangerous. So Ronald Reagan, you, you really, you know, effed up that time. You, you blew it, Ronald Reagan. Blew it completely. So all those that think that I'm a conservative lockstep Republican, you, have always, you obviously haven't listened to the show. Let's get back to Judy. So then she says, few uh, know the story of how Bobby became the vaccine injury advocate he is today. It was not his own choice that he pivoted from being a laser-focused environmental lawyer, that's really how he got his start, to taking on the industrial, medical, and pharmaceutical complex, but rather the tenacity of one mother who demanded he read her case and understand the impact this legislation and criminal behavior of the pharmaceutical industry, you know, which we know as Big Pharma, has had on thousands, if not millions of families and children worldwide. So let me get the forward of the book. And this is the forward, Moral Courage and Our Common Future by Robert F. Kennedy, Jr., He says, and yet it moves. Galileo whispered those defiant words in 1615 as he left the Roman Inquisition tribunal before which he had repudiated uh, his theory uh, that the earth, the immovable center of the universe, according to the contemporary orthodoxy, revolves around the sun. Had he not recanted, his life would be forfeit. We like to think of Galileo's struggles as the quaint artifact of a dark, ignorant, and tyrannical era where individuals challenge government-anointed superstitions only at grave personal risk. Well, the same thing happens today. I mean, they don't cancel you. They don't execute you. They don't burn you at the stake, but they certainly take away your life. That's what happens. So today it's, you know, it's more civilized and you live, but uh, they, they destroy your life, not, not actually take your life. So there's a difference. Anyway, then, she, then Kenny says, Dr. Judy Mikovits' story shows that stubborn, uh, orthodoxies anointed by pharmaceutical uh, companies and corrupt government regulations to protect power uh, and profits remain a dominant force in science and politics. Yep, sure does. And if you want to know uh, who supports climate change, see who gets the biggest grants that are only available to those who support climate change. And that's how you do it. If the government offers grants for those that support climate change, then scientists will support climate change because they need the grants. You know, if you want science, buy it. If you want uh, congressional legislation, you buy it. 
These things are all commodities. Until Action Radio came along, because we have votes and we have people. We don't actually need money. Well, we do need money, but we don't need uh, we don't need the billions that the big pharma needs to uh, to be effective. But uh, I still want a jet, so I'll talk about that later. Then she says, our stories converge from our own individual journeys on a collision course with these stubborn orthodoxies of scientism. Fauci, who we call Dr. Fascist, Fauci and the criminal machinery that has killed, maimed, disabled, and ruined the lives of so many through, uh, through the rollout uh, of all of these experimental drugs have, that, have, that were never tested. She says, I'm grateful to Andy Wakefield and Del Bigtree for all the work they have done in the wake of these atrocities, atrocious crimes, on the 1986 uh, Act uh, to expose what Bobby and I and others have carried the torch for these last three decades. So, yeah. So they've been doing it for a long time. She says, believe that there is a, thick, a thankless work of attorney. All right, this is acknowledgement. Here we go. So 1986, the Act. This is the Act that caused all the problems. Man and microbe from polio to COVID-19, a never more relevant forensic examination of the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act and its consequences. See, that's how they got it. This 1986 act that took away vaccine product liability, they called it the Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. So in other words, we're saving the children. We're doing it for the children. It's a bunch of crap. This is what happens when ancient wisdom, a mother's intuition, is pitted against the powerful interest uh, in that race against time. So it's, it's interesting. Anyway, so she goes on about her article, the book, things like that. Uh, they've got other stuff here. Here we go. Search after search. After search to uncover the PDF file for HR 5546, National Childhood Vaccine Act, Injury Act of 1986, turns up nothing. Additionally, the government's own database does not even acknowledge the passing of the bill in the Senate or by Ronald Reagan. Gee, how about that? So I didn't know this, but you can't find, uh, you can't find the, the, the legislative history of the bill that took away product liability. Isn't that interesting? That's like you can't find the, uh, uh, the videos on YouTube. Uh, unless you already have them filed away, of how the Democrats were against Dominion machines. You know, so just by equal protection alone, the, you know, the fact that uh, Dominion didn't sue them for defamation, you know, it's like, why didn't they sue them for defamation? And you can't go ahead and sue Fox News now if you didn't sue all the Democrats then for saying exactly the same thing. Then she's got turning to chat GPT. It delivered back to me 10 and counting broken links to locations on our U.S. government and other websites that were supposed to feature this document and did not. I gotta try ChatGPT. You guys have a subject for me? Do you want me to do it live? Let me go on ChatGPT live. Let me go on ChatGPT live right now. <laughs> Let me pull up a window. I got a few minutes here. Let's have some fun. I'll play my interview in about uh, top of the hour. Chat. Let's see what ChatGPT is. So C H A Chat GPT. Let's see what this is. Very kind of fun. Introducing ChatGPT in the following sample. Okay, ChatGPT AI chat online. Okay, let's have some fun. Let's let me see. <laughs> Safari can't connect to the server. What you can't connect me to uh, artificial intelligence? I guess they're not that intelligent. I got what is ChatGPT? ChatGPT Chichi? ChatGPT explained. Maybe I should learn a bit about it. Free ChatGPT. Let's try that one. Do, 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 do. From free to better, the evolution of ChatGPT. I want that information. I want to actually chat with the artificial intelligence. I do that all the time with government people. <laughs> Get it? Maybe I should try it later. All right, let me see if I can find you. Uh, what else do I want to talk about? I've got a wealth of websites here that I think are, are fascinating. Do, do, do. 
I got that one. I got that one. I got that one. Let's do something different. And so, uh, just out of curiosity, this this you might find uh, fascinating. So, uh, um, one of the countries that has always listened to Action Radio since the very beginning, uh, when I got on the air here at Blog Talk Radio, December twenty fourth of twenty eighteen, uh, a few months after I was fired from that other station, um, the country of Vietnam has always been with us. Vietnam is a communist country. So why are they listening? You know, who, and who's listening? And do they want to change the laws of Vietnam? I don't know, but Vietnam's always been there. And that's why I comment on it. Cuba's listening now to us, too. So some people in Cuba are listening. Cuba's a communist country. You know, so these, how is it? The, I mean, I'd love to reach out to these communist countries and have them, uh, you know, be able to participate and let's get rid of their communism. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? But I, I don't want them, them killed or myself killed in the process of trying to get rid of communism. But if you're not willing to risk your life, then what's the point of doing anything? So I think I look at it that way, too. So, you know, hey, listen. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And when the death threats come in, I'll let you know uh, until then. It's not going to stop me, by the way. You know, I'm, I'm committed to this. So then I, I thought, well, let's find out about Vietnam. I mean, how many of you know what's going on there now? So I found a nice liberal website, United States Institute of Peace. Uh, this is April 20th, 2022. So basically, you're actually uh, uh, exactly a year ago. The current situation in Vietnam, a USIP, that would be United States Institute of Peace fact sheet. I don't know if these people are a government Organization. Let me see their website. Does it say dot, says dot org? So they're they're private, but it sounds like they're very much government. Even though they say they're private, it says making peace possible. So here's what's going on in Vietnam. When's the last time we had an update from there? Right? They say nearly 50 years since the end of the Vietnam War, and more than a quarter century since the normalization of U.S.-Vietnam relations. Really, we've had normal relations for 25 years. Nobody tells me anything. Right? Vietnam is emerging as a rising power at the heart of the Indo-Pacific region and an increasingly important U.S. partner. Hmm. Can we use Vietnam against China? I mean, China used Vietnam against us, <laughs> you know, back during the Vietnam War. So did Russia. But which weapons do you think the North Vietnamese were using? Chinese and Russian against us. Of course, we never should have been there in a war. But now that we're there as partners, how much of a partnership do we have? I don't know. I'm just going to start picking countries at random that listen to us and give you their history, just because I find it curious. We'll do it on Cuba, we'll do it on Belarus, Sri Lanka. Uh, New Caledonia, the Solomon Islands, all these weird places where we are. <laughs> it's just really fascinating to me. All right. So it, it says uh, one of the once uh, uh, says once one of the world's poorest and most isolated countries, Vietnam is now a middle income country with a dynamic young population and a promising future. Well, wait a minute. I thought they were communists. Let's find out. Since joining ASEAN, that's the A-S-E-A-N, that's the Asian, well, let's see what it says later. Uh, it's like, the, it's like the, the common market, like the European Union is what it is, Asia, right? 1997, Vietnam has played a significant role in regional diplomacy and development. Vietnam's foreign policy aims to act as a friend and reliable partner of all countries in the international community. Well, how many people have been there since the war or since the last 15 years? I, I want to go. I'd be curious. Now, now I'm curious about the place, right? So let's see if they, if they want action radio. So Vietnam, do you want, uh, you want your communist government challenged by uh, regular citizens writing their own laws? <laughs> I'll just put that out there. So Vietnam, you can get me on live chat if you're listening, although it's probably about 2 in the morning there right now, um, this morning. So we'll see. Anyway, Vietnam has established strategic partnerships with Japan, China, India, Russia, and other countries, oh, including us, apparently. The United States and Vietnam agreed on a comprehensive partnership in 2013, 2013 that is strategic in all but name, uh-oh, including cooperation on economic, security, educational, cultural, and war legacy issues. What's a war legacy issue? Anyway, so Vietnam's policy of multiple partnerships has remained intact despite maritime security challenges, in other words, because they're on the water, 
in, in the East South China Sea, because China's there, <laughs> and disputes over the uh, management of the Mekong River, site of numerous battles you know, throughout the 60s and early 70s. Politically, Vietnam is a one-party state ruled by the Communist Party. Sounds like California. The People's Army of Vietnam has significant influence in the political system. Sounds like the People's Liberation Army of China. Freedom of expression, it says, opinion and speech are guaranteed in the Constitution, but not properly implemented in practice. In other words, there is no free speech in Vietnam. Vietnam's vibrant civil society and social media face increasing restrictions. In other words, there is no social media, affecting both informal actors uh, such as bloggers and legally registered non-governmental organizations, NGOs, human rights remain a contentious issue in the U.S.-Vietnam relationship. However, both President Obama and President Trump assured Vietnam leaders in the past that the United States respects Vietnam's differing political system. Differing? <laughs> Did they actually say differing? Yeah, communism from freedom? Yeah, that's definitely differing. Right? The Vietnamese government won international recognition for its strict handling of the COVID-19 pandemic in its early stages. Yeah, I don't think they had a lot of problems there. Did they give out hydroxychloroquine? Let's find out. Although subsequent waves have been harder to control, Vietnam's economy has continued to grow at the highest rate in Southeast Asia. Future challenges uh, for the country include how to continue economic liberalization and societal opening while maintaining stability and a relatively low level of inequality. Uh, uh, huh? <laughs> I have to translate that in English, right? Vietnam's economy, communist economy. This is a one-party communist ruled country you know i mean uh, the, the south vietnam lost the war and we left of course we never should have been there right so it says the strict handling of covid 19 pandemic in other words they had massive lockdowns which probably caused more problems than they cured much like the rest of the world then it says although subsequent waves have been harder to control vietnam's economy has continued to grow well if it's a communist country has the economy grown communist countries don't have an economy they have the government controls the production. The government sets the prices. The government regulates everything. There is no economy. An economy implies a free market where prices can rise and fall, goods and services can change, um, and there are no barriers to entry to the market so that new companies can come in with innovations, progress, and things like that. If you don't have that, you have a communist. There's no such, there's no such thing as a communist economy. There is communism, and there is a free market economy. So obviously these people are blowing you-know-what. Uh, or blowing smoke up our butts. <laughs> That's probably the best way to say it, right? So it says future challenges to the country include how to continue economic liberalization. So, but they're a communist country. What kind of economic liberalization? Of course, they don't have political liberalization. So in other words, you don't have any free speech, but you have an open economy? Nah, I don't think so. Then it says, and societal opening while maintaining stability. In other words, everybody's under control. <laughs> stability? <laughs> That's like the word sustainable. What does that mean? That means you can't produce more than we tell you to. What does stability mean? Well, it means everybody's under communist control and nobody can say anything. Oh, okay, I get it. And this is in a relatively low level of inequality. In other words, everybody's poor. <laughs> that's, that's what equality means. Equality to the left means that everybody's poor. Then this is USIP's War Legacies and Reconciliation Initiative. We'll get about five more minutes and I'll play an interview. This is the U.S. Initiative uh, Institute of Peace engages in research and dialogue examining the extraordinary arc of U.S.-Vietnam relations. What, what, what arc is that? Oh, here we go. In August 2021, USIP launched a multi-year project to foster public education as well as government-to-government and people-to-people dialogue among Vietnamese and Americans. Okay, I'm open. Dialogue with me. 
So I get these folks on the show. What you, it might be kind of interesting. Yeah. Anyway, he says, addressing war legacies, <laughs> including Agent Orange. That, that's a legacy? <laughs> I, I would call that uh, chemical destruction. Anyway, Agent Orange, unexploded bombs and recovery of wartime remains, uh, the soldiers, is an essential component to the wider work of building a strong bilateral partnership. Well, how do you build a partnership with a communist country? Because their goal is complete subjugation of the people and control of the economy. And our goal, allegedly, is freedom and, uh, and, a, and a strong republic. Individual rights, freedom, and a republic. That's our goal. Notice I didn't use the D word. Because we're, we're not a D country. We're not a, dem- we're not a democracy. USIP's initiative stems from Congress's landmark authorization in 2021, so two years ago, for the U.S. government to assist Vietnam in identifying its war dead, following decades of Vietnamese cooperation to help the United States continue the fullest possible. Okay, fine. Hmm. Don't read much more of this. Actually, um, well, there's more things here, but I'm just trying to think. What's the most current? Facilitating dialogue. What sort of ended up there? says, USIP convenes governmental and non-governmental leaders in Track 1.5 and Track 2 dialogues on war legacies and the U.S.-Vietnam partnership dialogues focus on specific issues or topics such as agent... Oh, I read that. Okay. So you get the idea. So the situation hasn't changed, but my, my question still remains. How is it that a communist country listens to Action Radio and has since we started? I don't know. I just find that fascinating. All right, uh, what can I play for you now? I've got, uh, I've got a few things here in my, my list of things to play. And I don't know, I forgot what I played yesterday. Um, but I've got to get uh, all of my, uh, my many, maybe I'll play you two interviews. I don't know, we'll see. Um, I've got all of my many uh, Federalist Papers things. Let me see if I can find Federalist, Anti-Federalist. I haven't reloaded the Anti-Federalist Papers. Uh, and I'm, I don't like talking just by myself with no help. So we had help yesterday. Don't have any help today. Sedition Act, Church and State, ever played those, played those, played those, played those. I don't think really I can play. Um, hmm. Now I'll play the Benghazi one later. Got a short interview? Eh, not really. Huh. Um, nope, nope, those are all long. All right. Let me take another break here. 757. 757. Write that down here. Play a couple more things. I'll come back and play an interview. Ah, here we go. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. 
Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grace Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. It's morning, and you are a proud black man. You go to the mirror. You are reminded of Governor Northrop of Virginia and Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada, both of whom appeared in blackface. And there you are. You just put on your shaving cream. And what do you see? Whiteface. It's bad enough that leftist aspiring dictators are choosing to go in blackface, but you, proud black man, have no choice but to appear in whiteface every morning you shave. Now, direct from Pianchi Laboratories, comes a great new product made especially for you, proud black man. Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream. Yes, Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream will give you your black face back during your morning shave. 
for Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream is the first ever black shaving cream. Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream comes in three shades, dark, darker, and darkest. So now, proud black man, you have a choice. You can stay in white face every morning, or you can join black men everywhere and choose Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream every morning. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. Action Radio. Dangerously cool. See all the fun we have here? <laughs> uh, it's going to be an interesting morning. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of, I guess, a little run down at this point during the week because there's a lot of work that goes on uh, off the air. So it's a typical, uh, you know, 18-hour day, <laughs> you know, of which three of it's the show. So that's 15 hours of, uh, of other work. But anyway, it uh, keeps me busy and I'm happy. So that's good. All right. So I have an interview that I did um, back. Let me pull up my thing. It was June, I think, 9th of 2017. Let me pull up here. Uh, uh, Jeremy Galt. So Jeremy's the person I met. Uh, I think we met in a local gym, actually, working out. And uh, we just got to talking. It's good, you know, me, I talk to everybody. And so we're talking away. And he tells me he's a prison chaplain. And I'm like, well, you've got to come on the show. That's, that's an interesting uh, job. How often do you get a chance to uh, meet not only a prison chaplain, but find out what's going on in our prison system? So that's why I thought it was worth uh, definitely talking to, uh, to Jeremy. Uh, there it is. So June, yeah, I was right, June 9th of 2017. And so I've got the recording here, and I'm just going to let you listen to it because it's great insight to what's going on in our prisons. So the last hour, I'll see how much of the last hour I want to do because, again, it's, it's, it's tough to do a show yourself you know, without, uh, without our usual callers and people and guests and reporters. And that's why I have reporters, so I don't have to talk the whole time myself. Uh, I can talk about things, get other people's ideas, and explore stuff. All right, so um, Jeremy's priest. Or actually, he's a minister or pastor? I think he's a pastor. Let's get my, my stuff correct. So anytime you hear reference to WEBY, uh, that station no longer exists in that form. It was Northwest Florida's news and talk leader. It was a local uh, talk uh, news talk station. Now I think they do sports or something like that. But they were bought out, changed. And I don't even think they have – there's nothing live that goes on there anymore. It's just uh, – it's just a, like an a, like an audio repeating station, but during the time I was there, it was fascinating. You know, we had this big old old oak table, you know, with these microphones on it, and we had panel discussions in the studio. In fact, one day I did a, a show. We did a show on um, on drones. And the fun part about that show was there, there was actually a drone flying around the studio at the time. In fact, one time it was sitting right in front of me taking my picture as I'm on the microphone. That was weird. <laughs> you know, uh, we had robots. We had, I should, I'll get that interview, although it was better visual. But we had the kids from uh, Pensacola Christian come over, and they had their robot fighting team. And so they were actually having robot wars uh, on the floor of WEBY. So you name it, it happened. The only thing we didn't have was wild animals running around there. And I, I felt that would not have been a problem. 
you know, somebody brought in a, a nature person that brought in a Burmese python. That would have been fun. One of the, uh, the other interviews I want to do is the, the, um, the extension service, the folks, the, the um, University of West Florida extension, because they're fabulous when it comes to uh, guarding stuff. So I'll probably play that one next time. Anyway, so if you hear WBY, if you hear a phone number other than 215-383-3832, uh, does it, you know, whatever you hear, um, that's on the recording. And that station, like I say, no longer exists in that form. Um, but what's, uh, what's fun about this, you know, for me is, like I said, listening to myself, because I was early in radio. This is, you know, this is my first full-time job in radio. Uh, was starting, you know, March 1st of, of 2017 at WBY. Um, so I overprepared. I had tons of questions. And it's just, I don't know, it's, just, it's a really special time. And I would have been, I think, you know, as much as I love blog talk, uh, I really loved that job. That was, that was my dream job. Um, and so uh, it would have been great to stay there for another, you know, 30 years broadcasting and then, you know, go travel the world, live on a cruise ship or do something like that. Anyway, so here's my interview with Jeremy Galt, uh, prison chaplain from June 9th of 2017. Oh, it's too loud. Let me see if I can knock the volume back. There we go. And I'll be back uh, live uh, at the end of this. So, uh, and then we can talk about it. So if you want to talk about it, you know, the number here, 215-383-3832. Live chat is open. Uh, Skype line, I think, is going to be back in a couple of days. I've got to uh, talk to them about that. Um, but then we'll get that going, and we shall talk in a little bit. Yeah, baby. Action Radio Hour. 8 o'clock here, WBY, 1330 AM, Northwest Florida's Talk Radio. If I could just, I uh, was taking a quick little Facebook thing, and I guess we might get next week on uh, the truth about vaccines. So that's something I definitely want to talk about, so I'll be uh, looking into that as well. So my guest right now in this hour is Jeremy Galt. And so Jeremy Galt is a prison chaplain. And we just bumped into each other in normal course of affairs of uh, going about our business. And, and there he was, and we just got to chatting. And I thought, what a fascinating thing. I mean, this is not somebody you meet every day. Hey, Jeremy, how you doing? Good, great. How are you doing? I am well. I am very well. And so I'll get the phone numbers out right away. 623-1330-50-623-1330. We're going to get a little insight into prison. And this is... Um, it's just one of those weird coincidences that this is going to be a fairly sensitive time to talk about this simply because of what happened in Naomi Jones. And so a lot of people are going to be very uh, much uh, throw away the key. We don't want to talk to them anymore. This was, this was not planned to happen this way. We, we booked this about, you know, last week sometime. Yes. So this is not uh, uh, something that happened. I wanted to go ahead with this anyway, though, just because I think it's a fascinating topic. And it took me, you know, I want to make sure I got you in here while, while I could. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So you, like I say, you, you don't wake up and then when you decide to become a, a reverend or a minister, you don't suddenly say, I want to work in a prison. I mean, this is an evolutionary process, right? So let's go back. Uh, let's go back. I got your whole resume here. So this is cool. So four years old. What happened then? Well, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh-huh. Um, I was taken to church since the womb on. And um, had, my parents always told me about Jesus and told me about what it takes to be saved and everything. And at the age of four, I understood what that meant. And I received Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. How do you get that kind of realization at four? It happens. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And it's weird for me. I, you know, as much as I've tried to think about it, the, 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 whatever it is that is hasn't hit me yet. And so maybe you will someday. So I might to talk to you about that. But uh, so I haven't had the, the revelation myself. So you're baptized. Uh, and then a few years later, and 13 years old, what happened then? Well, I was in church and um, the pastor was Excuse speaking me. and I got... You know, some something changed. It's uh, where you hear God. You know, it's not like an audible voice. Okay. But something actually 
a lot louder, if you will. Okay. Where it's a feeling too, but it, it, it kind of more. Um, and I felt God calling me to ministry. Okay. And At I, 13. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. And um, I felt that. And, and so I said, well, I'm going to make sure this is real. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I don't jumping in. I mean, I'm not going anywhere. Right. So I said, well, make sure that I'm, I'm willing, but if we're going to make sure this is what you want me to do, and then I'll walk down and do it. Okay. And so the next week, the associate pastor's preaching. And he says, you know, that that feeling you have is not the tacos you had last night. <laughs> it's a calling. It's a calling. Okay. And, you know, when he's preaching that, you know, to a few hundred people in our church and everything, and right. we had tacos last night. It's like, <laughs> and it's that was God calling me. And I'm like, you know, then I, I received that. And I had, you know, something in my mind, I kept having this vision of, you know, this the structure mm-hmm. with, with wood beams and everything. And it was interesting because I actually... You know, after you know, we'll talk about it in a minute. After the accident I was in, right. you know, um, I preached when I really got out of that at a church had the exact same roof structure, which is not common in a um, Baptist thing. We don't have big, you know, wooden rafters things. I've never seen that before. But you actually saw this place in your mind ahead of time where you'd be preaching. Yeah, it was actually That's Pine Terrace Baptist when I was just preaching. Just to they knew I was a preacher. I was, I was the janitor at the time, and they just okay. said, "Hey, come on and preach." And so I did, and it's and that was. Kind of like what God did with Moses when He says, "You know, you worship Me on this mountain. That's how you know I'm God." Okay. You know. Interesting. Are you still preaching actively elsewhere, or is a prison take up most of your uh, time? I will forward? be July second. I'm starting at Billery Baptist Church as their pastor. I, um, I did my call last Sunday, and they okay. voted me in, so I'll be the pastor there. That's great. So where is this? Where's the church? It's on 87. Okay. On the way, it's in Navarre. Okay. It's on the way out to Destin. You, you so. can give exact addresses and stuff, and when you're going to be doing this, this is part of the fun of this. Is you get to talk about, you know, where you are and what you're doing. You have to build a, a congregation. Yes. So that's what we're looking forward to doing. Well, yeah, it's in the Holly Navarre area. Okay. It's right at 87. Everybody, you can see it. It's on 87. It's the main road. Okay. Right. So are you leaving being a prison chaplain? No, not that okay. I know of. Okay. <laughs> so you can be so you can be pastor. At, the, at this church, uh, Billery Church, and also maintain your position at the prison. Also, they allow me to have Sundays off. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense. I yeah. mean, well, it's not like the prisoners are going anywhere. You know, they they can they can get their services and and uh, you know duties that you have to perform any time. You know, they kind of got a captive audience there. You know, so that's that's interesting. We're getting into more of that. So, accident was before college or after college? It was during college, actually. So let's, let's so so now again this whole progression. So you never wavered from basically the time you were four years old to to follow this path of God and it has led you to to a prison chaplain. This is fascinating. So let's go to college. Then what happened? Yeah. Well, um, I was involved in a ministry called Jesus and Me Jam. Is we go out and do stuff for youth. We do revivals okay. or lock-ins. What are those? Oh, Explain well, those. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's church talk, huh? Well, I, I, do yeah. this with, I do this with everybody, and I always get accused of interrupting, which I do, and I'm sorry. But if I don't get the definitions out, because you know what you're talking about, and law enforcement, they have their own set of mm-hmm. definitions. Same thing with Clay White, our maritime reporter. He has his own set. So everybody has their own words and things. So I just make, But not everybody knows each other's words, so that's why I like to uh, to clarify. So revivals, and, and what was the other thing you were talking about? We have lock-ins where the kids Walk, come okay. into a church, and then they stay there all night and just have games and fun and just talk about God and, you know, do a lot of good fun stuff. You call it a lock-in? Yeah. <laughs> That's why you're locked in. You can't leave. Okay. I mean, you know, I mean, if there's an emergency, obviously you oh, yeah. can, but, you know, the idea is, there, you know, and it's something fun to do, just like they have lockouts where you can't go home or that you go out and go bowling or do okay. different things and stuff like How that. How old are the kids for this? Uh, they'd be youth. So middle okay. school, high school, depending right. on the church and everything. Parents then sign the permission slips. They get to meet you and they find out all about this stuff. 
you know, if you're gonna lock in their kids, you know, they want to yeah. know what's going on. Interesting. Okay. And revivals. What's so what's happening there? Um, we just give them the gospel and we tell them about it. Um, we also on that, on that night we are doing True Love Waits, okay. which is a thing saying you know don't have sex before marriage, okay. because it, it works. You know it, it's the best way to do it. I yeah. Believe, so, yeah. Um, but we were coming home from there in a 15 passenger van, and the uh, right passenger tire rear passenger tire blows, Ooh. and um, it flips. You know, and I get thrown around in the vehicle. So you actually rotated all around a couple of times? Yeah, at least once. Okay. Um, and I go, you know, it felt like two or three, but they later said it was one. But, you know, you're rolling around. Then I go through the window okay. where wow. I was on the concrete. My first thought is, great, I'm paralyzed. Yeah. And then I stand up, you know, and we crawl through the um, windshield okay. um, to get out. And four of my friends were ejected from the vehicle. Um, Seatbelts? Yes, no, maybe? Some had them, some didn't. Okay. I mean, it's a 15-passenger van, so the ones up front did, but right. you know how people typically don't, you know. I wasn't wearing yeah. one because, you know, in those type of vehicles, you just never did. What year was this? That was 2001, a little bit after 9-11. Okay, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, so, well, I don't know how much seatbelt laws have changed since then. Probably not a whole lot. But I know school buses have seatbelts now. Yeah. And they, they didn't when Same I was a concept. kid. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Okay, so, uh, all right. So how, how did this change uh, your life? Well, four of my friends were thrown out of the vehicle. Right. My friend's newlywed wife um, was in a ditch. She had to have reconstructive surgery, but she made it out. It was okay. Okay. Um, well, my friend's Joe, he um, died on impact. Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't pretty. Um, another friend, he died later in a hospital. And uh, my good friend, Jeremy Leary, died in my arms. Oh, wow. And um, so that shook me up a little bit, as you can imagine. Um one of the things that happened is, you know, you think about it and you look at God and you're like, well, you know, and, and we fought, you know, and I mean, it's okay to do that, you know, to fight and say, hey, this is this is plan. Yeah, why okay. me? Why did you do this? What, yeah, what possible we're, purpose can this serve? We're doing something good here. Yeah. You know, why did you allow this to happen? But it was through that time that I actually, you know, I've been saved since four and doing what I'm supposed to, reading the Bible. It's through that time I think I've learned more about God and His sovereignty, His providence, His love, His grace, His joy that we have than um, any other time in my life, to tell you the honest truth. How did how did that accident directly change views or things like that? Or what revelations did you have that you remember? Well, part of it is looking at God's sovereignty, the ability of Him to use bad things in our lives okay. for our good, even though it doesn't seem that way, and His glory. Well, I have a lot of explaining I need that for some of the things that, you know, and I guess all of us have all we've been through. And we all we always ask the same question, why us? Well, you know, why, mm-hmm. why did this happen? Interesting. Okay, so we got you through college, and you got through seminary. And uh, anything revelationary about this that path? Or, you know, how did, how did we get from, from there to, to prison chaplain? I guess we should uh, get that part of the story. Well, it... Actually, I never knew this job existed. Okay. Um, and I, like I, said, I, I didn't think of it either, actually. No, no one ever does. Yeah. I mean, you don't ever, you know, um, you see the, the priest sometimes if you watch a movie, giving the right. guy the last rites or whatever. You, you figure they're like called in, you yeah. know, take the limo, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so I never knew this job existed, okay. which, you know, I've grown up in all my life, which is ironic. But yeah. they, um, I was, I was right, you know, I was a janitor. And, um, you know, I had a master's degree and everything, and I'm just kind of like, God, what do you want me to do here? Yeah. And one of my friends just kind of just on a lark said, hey, you know, he was looking for a job. He said, hey, here's the application for a job. It wouldn't work for me. I'm looking for a Why not? Okay. So I put it in, and um, my previous 
pastor was actually the regional chaplain for this area. Okay. And um, he actually called me up the day before my interview and said, hey, and everything. And um, I didn't get it at that time. Um, chaplain Burkhardt did, which is great because he's actually a um, administrative genius. I mean, he, he does things amazingly, and he makes it much better for us out there. He He makes sure all the... You know, everything. You just don't walk into prison day one and know and know this job. Yeah. This is a whole separate specialty yeah. of, of 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 ministering to people because you're ministering to prisoners. Yeah. You know, convicted prisoners, and of course they all say they're innocent, but uh, I, I, there might actually be a couple who are. Yeah. You know, because mistakes happen. This is, and we'll get into death penalty and things like that. Um, my my problem with the death penalty has always been I don't want to see an innocent person ever. Execute. I don't care what you have to go through to make sure that doesn't happen. But uh, if you're in prison, you know, for life, then that's a death sentence, as far as I'm concerned. So we can talk about that. We need to take a little break. Uh, let's let's talk about what it means to be a prison chaplain. We'll get into that and uh, and everything, all the other issues that we can talk about here. Eight seventeen in the morning, Action Radio Hour. Jeremy Galt's my guest, who is a prison chaplain, getting some rare insight you don't get every day. Be right back. You're one step away from My special guest, Jeremy Galt, prison chaplain. It doesn't matter how far. Let's just talk a little bit about to, when you work in a prison, you have, just to even get in the prison, you have this huge amount of security, right? Yes. So what do you have to do just to go to work? I have to go through a metal detector. Uh, they can check through my bag, and I go through an x-ray machine okay. every morning. And they know you, though. Yeah. You've, you've been there for how long? I have long? a badge. I have to have a badge to get in also. I forgot to mention that. Okay, so you got a badge. They know who you are, and yet you still have to go through security every day. Yeah, and occasionally I get pat searched. Wow, and that's all random. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is just to, just normal, just to go to work. Yeah. And are, are you with the prisoners directly? Um, you know, every day I'm in there. Yes, but you're not behind a screen. You're not behind anything else like that. You're just one of, just like we are sitting at a desk yes. here. Interesting. Okay, let's get uh, Josie in the line. Good morning, Josie. Hey, good morning. I just, uh, I'm in front of the abortion clinic at the moment, so I didn't have the radio on, so I didn't know who you have as a guest or what you guys are talking You're about. You're calling me and you don't know but, who my guest is? Josie, come on. Well, I, I didn't have the radio on. I'm actually in the clinic. Okay. But I wanted to call and thank everybody that showed up uh, for Naomi yesterday okay. at the church. It was beautiful prayer, and uh, we're glad that the guy was caught and uh and also, I heard a few the gentleman that you have right now. Uh-huh. And I remember going to one of the prisons here in Milton to sell uniforms. And I have never anything. And in order for me to beat one, I went to, I think, uh, five different checkpoints, and I was like, oh, my God, I see you <laughs> Oh, yeah. You're breaking up a little bit, Josie. I don't know if you're on a cell phone, but we're only getting about half your uh, your call right now. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. So, okay, I'm, I'm just calling to thank you guys uh, for all you do, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate okay. it, Josie. Yeah. Okay. All right. So all just, right. Bye-bye. Bye now. Josie does some amazing Bye. work. She uh, She's down uh, across the street from the abortion clinic in uh, Pensacola. You should go visit uh, 40 Days for Life. Are you familiar with this organization yes. at all? Okay. Yeah, we've had them on the air too. And so they're out in front of the abortion clinic uh, talking, counseling, helping, uh, nonviolent, and not protesting, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. doing some good work. So Josie's there and she also has her own business and she's from Nicaragua originally. 
fascinating woman. So we've had her on the air too. Um, so yeah, so that's that's um, that's what's going on. So let's talk about this this prison thing. So what exactly does a prison chaplain do? There's a lot actually. Um, we um, take we take care of their spiritual needs for um, 3,500 about give or take 3,000. Santa Rosa County Jail. No, the prison, no. Santa Rosa prison. What's the difference? Prison, they've already been found guilty. Okay. They're sentenced. They're figuring out their sentence. Unless okay. they have law work going where they might be innocent or judged too harshly or they okay. have a good lawyer, they can get out earlier. But they're serving their sentence. Okay. Why do we even have prison chaplains? What's, what's, what, you know, a lot of people are going to say, you know, like I said, the lock them up, throw away the key thing, give them their cell, their, their bread and water, you know, maybe a little exercise, we're warehousing them, and then uh, unfortunately we have to release them. So what can you do? What, what service do you perform that would be absent if you weren't there? We provide the spiritual needs. Okay. Um, Which is what? what? Do prisoners have spiritual needs? Yes. Okay. I mean, you can imagine. I mean, That's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm you know, devil's advocate here a little bit, but why? What, uh, what kind see, of things, well, for instance? First, most importantly, number one, it, it's important for God, I mean, I'm a Christian, so that. But if right. you take all that out, you see, even still, the First Amendment is still the First Amendment. Okay. No matter who you are, you still get basic rights. Okay. You know? um, and so that also, these guys are typically getting out. Right. About thirty percent or so get out every year, and it's just a revolving door. You know, because you think some guys have long sentences. Well, this is their year to get out, or some have short sentences. Right. Because it could go anywhere from a, a drug dealer, or a guy gets caught with a little bit of. Yeah, drugs, and um, he he's in, and also some guy who's a serial, you know, a murderer. Right. I mean, a- anywhere in between is is people that I I deal with. Wow. And you have to take care of them, and part of it also is you're paying thirty thousand dollars a year per inmate. Right. To take care of them, so if I'm able to get, you know, and we've done the math basically with the two of us over at our section, uh-huh. if we generate twenty four months that they don't come back. Just 24 months. We don't have to have, I mean, them stay out their whole lives. Just 24 months. If 24 inmates just say, hey, I'm just not going to do drugs for this month and not come back, okay. we've, we've well over made what we get paid for, basically. Interesting. Who pays you? The, the state. Okay. So it's a state position. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, so, I, I mean, I was kind of, you know, going after you a little bit, you know, what kind of, you know, why do we have spiritual needs? But everybody has spiritual needs, really. And so I'm thinking to myself, um, but... Then I think about what about the prisoner who's just trying to get out of prison early, and they say, "Oh, I've had this big conversion. You know, I believe in Jesus. Jesus is my savior. Let me out." You know, can how, how do you work with the prisoners to find out who's really sincere about what they're talking about, and someone who's just lying to you to get out of prison if they can? Well, see, that's that's one of the things about my job that's different from probably a jail chaplain. Okay. Because they've been sentenced. Right. Unless you have great law work, you're sitting there. Okay. It doesn't matter what happens with your conversion or anything law wise. Right. You know, you're there. Um, so I don't have to worry about that aspect of it. But, yes, there are some that they'll use religion to get things. Like um, what? Um, religious diets or, you know. Oh, yeah, tell me about that. Do you have the, the non-bacon crowd, you know, I guess, uh, or, or kosher? Or what, what kind of restrictions yeah, are people have, going we after? We have a kosher thing. It's called our, We call it RDP, but it's the CFO okay. diet that we have. And it's, okay. um, you have a questionnaire you have to fill out, and right. that's one of the things we do also. And um, we give those to the guys, and they answer it, and they answer the questions correctly. And if they show religious need, then we put them on. Um, if they violate by eating other things or trying to take it back home with them so they can sell it, mm-hmm. or if they're a security risk because of it, then we can suspend them. 
and um, we give them an opportunity to respond, of course, but then they get suspended, or if they're innocent, we put them back on. What is being suspended from the diet, you're saying? Yes, or, they oh. go back to regular chow. They get to eat. But okay. See, the thing is, is you're saying, hey, I cannot eat the regular chow, the inmates are served, which is bacon-free, which is pork-free. It's all pork-free in the prison. Oh, it is automatically anyway? Yes. Okay. If they want pork, you can get pork skins and stuff from the canteen and everything. But, right. Um, it's all pork-free anyways. But... But that's not really your department, though. You don't work with the diet so much, but you can suspend, you know, diets because of what Because behavior? I'm a chaplain. Oh, okay. So we look at the religious needs. Because okay. what they're saying is I can't have this food and eat right. and do my religion. So we say, okay, and, and because of the Florida lawsuit, you probably are the lawsuit from the um, federal government. No, go tell me about it because I'm not sure. Yeah, a few years ago, we were... Florida was basically sued by okay. Department of Justice that we have to have this. Oh, okay. And so we're right now we are in the process, but we have it right now. And um, that's one of the aspects of what we have. And and we suspend them from the diet because they say, hey, I have to have this to eat. And then we say, no, you're eating pork rinds on a regular basis. Yeah. You're going back to regular diet. And it's not a punishment. It's a 30 days of you need to think about this. Okay. You know, if we, we care about honesty. We care about integrity, you know, and that's part of why we're here. Right. If you're going to lie, then you're not ready for this, you know. Find a way you don't have to lie. So it's a privilege you just take away for other bad behavior? No, no, it's not. It's just for that. If they violate the diet, it's just, I mean, if they, they can be do anything else, then they still get that diet. Right. Um, unless they get another if diet. They, if they go against the one they've been prescribed or, or requested, then they, they often immediately, yeah. that's funny. I mean, it's just. It's okay. prison. That's why people. Well, it is prison. This is why it's different. This is why I'm asking. Um, I got a question from uh, from Mike Bates, our, our general manager here. He wants to know why the conversion to Islam is so prevalent uh, among prisoners. We don't see that a whole lot. Um, part of it is, I think, this is that you think about it. You're in our Christian family or whatever that probably okay. maybe for some reason you don't follow. Right. They may and you don't or it's never been a real big part and basically Christian meant for you. I want a pastor at my wedding, a pastor at my funeral or right. I'm not Islamic or Jewish or whatever. So are there Islamic leaders, are there imams that come to the prison for the We the... have had them in the past, but we don't have any right now. It, okay. It's typically harder for ones that aren't Christians, especially in this area to mm-hmm. get volunteers out. Okay. Um we have had we have tried and Olive does send some rabbis occasionally. Yeah. But one of the things I think is is that they uh, Islam. You think about Christianity. If you're going to follow it, okay, you're going to be meek, you know, and not weak. Okay, there's right. things we stand up for, you know, and, and we can be bold and we can. But you're going to be patient. You're going to be loving and everything. Which in yeah. prison, you think that's not something people want to do. Right. Um, and also, like I said, you know, you've been in this and you think you've tried Christianity, and then. Obviously, something's wrong <laughs> with, with what you're doing, and you want to try something new. And so a lot of guys I get to talk to, they just say, hey, I just want to try anything, you know. And So they actually they want to help themselves. They do, uh, These people who don't know anything or have known nothing but crime in their lives, that's the only way they've survived or, or what? But it's all, all the range. I mean, okay. some guys, they make one mistake. Right. I mean, we have guys that drank too much, okay. and you accidentally kill somebody, and you're near for 30, 40 life or whatever. Right. Um you know, but other than that, good people. You know what I mean? Um, that's that's the ironic thing about what you're talking about, throw away the key and everything. Everybody says that when the guy's tried. Yeah. No one says that when he's in 20 years. Yeah, interesting. You know? Well, this, this is what I want to get to because, you know, you can sort of, and you probably do this, classify prisoners as like, you know, hardcore evil. 
Nothing you're going to do is going to save those people. Then you've got sort of middle-of-the-road career criminals, and, and then you've got people that screwed up, negligent, homicide. Like I say, they drank too much and stuff. How do you how do you minister to those different groups? I we treat everybody the same: Islam, okay. uh, rabbis, black, white, Hispanic. It, it doesn't matter. We treat everybody. I, I shake okay. everybody's hand when they come into the chapel. Okay. I say hi to as many people as I can when I'm walking around. Yeah. We I hold doors to let them through. You know everything. I treat them like people. Okay. Um, and it doesn't matter who you are. Um, now it matters how close I'm going to watch you per se. But <laughs> yeah, I'm already. So do you have a guard with you? Uh, they come and check on us occasionally. Okay. But we're you're alone with prisoners then. Yeah. It's a but, risky job. Not too much. Okay. It sounds that way. Um, yeah. You know, when I first got the job, um, and they they make sure to tell you because yeah. they will lie to you. I get lied to every day. Okay. But the thing. Do you more, know when you're being lied to? Is it, can you okay. are you getting pretty perceptive about that? I'm getting much more than I used to be. Yes. Okay. What changed? How'd you how'd you figure it out? It's one of those things you you do it enough okay. and you, you just I do everything now where it's just I do it by evidence. You know. Okay. This guy says, hey, I didn't, actually didn't violate my RDP or whatever. And right. I'll say, okay, What's an RDP? The religious diet I mentioned. Okay, right. And I'll say, okay, well, the computer shows that you scanned for pork rind 13 times. So <laughs> You're lying. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's just, we're going to go by the evidence. Okay. We, you know. Yeah. Um, but it, it's one of the things we, you know, we give everybody a, sh- a shot. And mm-hmm. even though you might have hardened criminals like that, you see in 20, 30 years, their lives have changed. How, have you seen people... How long have you been at this prison? Three years. Have you seen uh, particular inmates from when you started to where you are now? Have you seen changes within them? Yes. Could you have some stories for me? I have tons of stories. Go for um, it. Some of the ones that I've seen the best... Um, unfortunately, we, we've lost him. He's gone to another prison, uh-huh. but he was one of my workers, and um, he was involved in um, a drug shooting, basically, 30 okay. years ago. Okay. Um, when he got into jail... He didn't have a jailhouse conversion to get me out, but he had a real Jesus moment. Okay. And um, he's had a ministry like you. Know, he hasn't had a DR. He's never gotten in trouble. DR. Uh, disciplinary report. Okay. He hasn't had gotten in trouble. Okay. In 30, in 30 years? years? Yes. So he's like, they, that would you call a model prisoner kind of thing? Yeah, model oh. inmate. Okay. Inmate's the word we use. Inmate, but, all right. And he does Bible studies or he did over here and did Bible studies, yeah. you know, and they knew him. He could take stuff places and they would check it, you know, everything would be secure and everything. But total life transformation, you know, and leading people to Christ and doing Bible studies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he would let me know, like, okay, we need to do this and this just to watch out for, I mean, he had tons of opportunity because when I first started, right. on my first day on the, you know, to get the guys down there, I have to put them on sheets so they can get down to see me right. for the next day. And this is how you do a call out. These are some of the general things, how to do it. The next day I was on my own, just, you know, and I'm like, okay, wow. well, I have to wait. <laughs> but then the guy who's the senior chaplain before me, yeah. he quit that day. Oh. So I was on my own on that Monday. Uh-huh. All by With my prisoners. Yeah. And I a, even, a, new, a new pastor. I hadn't been given my keys or my computer access yet. Oh, wow. So I was just, okay. And so all these memos. And so I just got to, you know, and so... He easily could have, you know, taken it, but he didn't, yeah. you know, and other guys that I've working for me have been in there for like, you know, 20 years or whatever. And you see it's a difference. You know, when I when I preach in prison, as opposed to when I preach in churches, a big difference is the guys in prison are typically smiling and they have joy. Yeah. And you think it shouldn't be that way. 
because I mean they don't own anything. Some of the if you're indigent, you don't own anything. Right. You get fed the meals you get. You get woken up all hours of the night. You're in a dorm with you know a hundred guys. Yeah. Or you're behind a door, uh, you know. And so you shouldn't really probably be happy, but because of Jesus, they are. Interesting. And it's good they lost all the things that this world says is a value mm-hmm. to find the one thing that is. And my my verse that I use is John seventeen three. And this is eternal life, the man you, you, the only God, and your son whom you sent. You know, eternal life, we tend to think about heaven. Right. But actually, eternal life is can be now. It's a state of being. Heaven's a place. Okay. You know, and so even in there, you can have eternal life. And that's what I see, you know, and, and they go through difficulty, and they have trouble, and some of these guys, they're drug addicts, and so they have issues, you know, and that's one of the things to think about with you know, like like with what you're talking about, the hardened criminal and all that type of stuff is yeah. Like I said, there's mistakes. evil people, and there are people that made a mistake that can be helped. Yes. And and there's you know career criminals somewhere in the middle. So yeah, or however you break them down. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Jeremy Galt's my guest. We're going to be back. We have to take uh, another break right now. Eight thirty-seven in the morning, and this is the Action Radio Hour. Very special guests. Fascinating topic. Feel free to call in six two three thirteen thirty or area code eight five zero six two three thirteen thirty. No matter. Christian Rock for us, eh, Doc? What you got there? What you playing for us there? That was Mercy Me. Interesting. Thank you. Always doing uh, incredible music all the time. A Dog, the world's greatest producer. Eight forty-one in the morning. Not a whole lot of time left. So let's let's get to some of the things uh, you were talking. Uh, we were talking off the air about uh, the, the the prisons of Florida and the population of Florida are in two different places, right? Mm-hmm. So w- what were you saying about that? Like you think about our big population centers, they'd be down south or right. on the east coast, like Miami, Jacksonville, Miami, yeah. Tampa, um, Orlando, for okay. instance. Okay. Um, but a good percentage of the prisons are on the west side. Like, Up here in the Panhandle. Mm-hmm. Why? Do you know? Well, I mean, think about it. That's where we have land. Oh, okay, so it, it's it, there's the you know if they actually escape, it's safer to to be able to pick well, folks up. Well, it's just cheaper to build up here. You know, you okay. think if you go to Miami or whatever, and you you'd have to drop down right in the middle of a yeah. you know urban area that'd be pretty expensive mm-hmm. and that's one of the controversies is when someone gets out nobody wants them in their neighborhood especially sex offenders yes. and things like that what do you do with sex offenders how do you deal with that that particular crime in outside of prison no well inside and out um well inside um they are just an inmate like anybody else okay. um i do my best unless i have to to see what you know see if someone's telling me the truth or see if it Matters. I don't typically look up their crimes they did. Okay. Because um, we think of them as like the worst, you know, lowest form of, of human life there is. Yeah. You know, basically, yeah. But it's also a very prevalent thing now. Okay. Um, par- part of that, I think, is uh, culturally when we have denigrated marriage so much. Okay. Um, where, you know, boyfriends come into a house and... You also have drugs mixed up with it, okay. and things happen, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, they're, they're hard to find places to go when they get out. Um, that's one of the things. It's kind of a 
you know, like you're mentioning, there's a throwaway the key crowd, and right. there's also the, you know, oh, they need, you know, everything crowd, or they shouldn't be punished. You know, crowd. Give them everything that we can so they'll be, you know, nice and adjusted when they get out. You know, so we have extremes. And so, unfortunately, we have kind of in the middle area where it's difficult, especially for sex offenders or violent criminals or people who have had violence. Yeah. You know, even if they've changed their lives and everything like that, yeah. finding a place for them to go. Because in Florida, you can't be anywhere around a, a school, park, church. Um, Which we think of as a good thing. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a father. I, right. I agree with that, you yeah. know. And But when you try to find a place for these guys to live mm-hmm. because they have to go on parole, they get out and they have to be paroled, yeah. well, they live under a bridge in some areas. Okay. You know, like we look for places, and in one case... One of our volunteers, he was, he's a genius in this, uh-huh. and he's really good. He's up with Waterfront, and he knew a lot of different places all throughout the state, and he couldn't find a place for this guy. So he calls up the um, – there was a lady who was the head of housing or something in this whole city thing, and she, he said, you know, we can't find a place for this guy. She says, well, we'll just probably have to put him under a bridge. And he's like, is is that okay in our society? You know? Yeah. And it, it's one of the things that I, I understand. I'm a father. I, right. I, I really do understand that. Um, but it's also we're, we're saying, okay, you can get out, and we care about you making a change in your life, but we're going to put you in a situation where you're coming back. It's just a matter of time. You're, you're almost forced back in. And this is the thing I'm thinking, too, because once you're out, if society or the parole board has judged that you are ready to be re- reintroduced into society, but you can't get a job, because nobody's going to hire you. No one wants you in their neighborhood. Uh, you know, and then you almost have to go back to crime just to survive. Uh, I hate to say that, but and then you end up back in prison, which is the, the whole thing. We put you in prison in the first place so you wouldn't go back because that's supposed to be so horrible, that just kind of conflict. How, how do you resolve that uh, as a prison chaplain? Well, what we're doing right now is we're working on finding transitional housing. Okay. Um, we are getting together a group of us over there, uh, transitional housing, classification, chaplaincy, okay. and we're putting a web, uh, not a website, an Excel document together that any county you pick, you'd be able to pick, say, Santa Rosa. Okay. And we'd say, okay, we need transitional housing. Well, there's Second Chance down the street, which is a phenomenal place. Okay. Um, and you have a few other... Do you work with them, too? Do you work with inmates after they're out? No, I we we send them out to go to a place, and then okay. you know if they want to call us, they can, but typically they don't. They, okay. You know they they're done with prison. They want to move on. Yeah. Um, but we try to, and then we give them a good start, and we want you know also have stuff like job placement, things like that, okay. because obviously, no one wants you to do anything that's going to be you know you're not going to be selling insurance or you're not going to be you know, doing anything like uh, a big thing. So you're going to start and be... You're not going to get a security clearance. You know, you're not going to yeah. do a bunch of other things. You're not going to have a, you know, a sensitive position in the company. It's yeah. going to take a few years. And yeah. um, so we tell them that, getting them prepared. Um, but one of the things that, um, you know, they just... We just try to help them get that. And we, we give them drug classes when they're in there. Okay. We give them... We do a class called Super Dad to teach them to be better fathers because... Are a lot of the prisoners fathers? Or inmates, excuse me? Yeah. And what's interesting, too, you'll see the need for the class. We have this thing that I pull up that has their picture, uh-huh. has all their family information, okay. because we do crisis messages. Um, and I, we can talk about that in a second. But when the fa- when you look for, there's never a father there, typically. He's either dead, he's either got a different name, or not even on the sheet. Or when you come up with this information, there's nothing there. So what percentage of, of inmates uh, would you say don't have fathers? Or didn't have a father influence growing up? I think the vast majority. I'd probably okay. say 
at low estimate, 70, 80%. Wow. So if we could somehow in society arrange this, and it wasn't always this way. You know, I know especially Daniel and Patrick Monahan did this huge report on African-American families, you know, and, and the whole social welfare thing. You know, you, you promote the single mothers, they get the, the housing, the food, everything. The fathers get thrown away. And then especially boys growing up without fathers, they have nobody to, to teach them how to be men except the gangs. You know, and so do you see this whole cycle going on? Yeah, that's why we do the super dad class, like I okay. mentioned. And it's, you know, it's 70 percent. If you if you go to prison. Right. Your son and sometimes even your daughter is following you, and it just becomes a family. Th- and so we're trying to curve that because, okay. you know, I ask them, hey, does anybody want your son to come in here with you? And they're like, no. Yeah. You know, and, and they all understand that. Um, and so some of them have to be fathered from prison, and, and we're trying to teach them how to do that and, and also especially when you get out how to be a good father. Yeah. Um, that, that's one of the big things to work on, and especially I think of as being a father, but also just if you're, if you do, you know, if a child does come because of you, you have a responsibility. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's one of the things that a mother can do great things, but once that boy gets 16, she cannot physically contain him. Yeah. At all. I mean, he's. Sometimes just, younger, probably, depending on, uh, yeah. you know. That's and so he says, I'm going out to get with my, you know, my gang, or I'm going to do drugs, or whatever it is. And she says, no, and, and she just, he just can push her. Yeah, sorry, Ma. Yeah. It, especially if she's like, you know, six inches shorter, <laughs> all the other things. Yeah, scary. Worst case scenario, um, evil, pure evil. Uh, the person, and I'm not going to name the name because I don't like to do that. The person that killed Naomi Jones mm-hmm. was in prison for rape, uh, a bunch of other stuff, uh, and uh, was in prison 15 years, got out less than four years later, uh, murders Naomi Jones. Somebody ministered to that person in prison and somehow the system uh, didn't recognize who he was and let him out and this horrible crime happened that to me that'd be the the worst case scenario for a prison chaplain to be ministering to somebody that goes out and then commits you know a horrible crime after you've been working with them up to you if you want to tell me if you have a story like that or if you know someone has a story like that but what you know that the chaplain administered them what do you think was going through their minds right now well see the thing is is it's like with the First Amendment, you know, you have freedom. You don't have. We don't make you follow your religion. Okay. Um, so some guys I never see. Um, we have, like I said, we have 3,500. Okay. And we have a few hundred that come through the chapel, and we do crisis messages that affect everybody who has a crisis happen. Okay. But some of them they purposely don't go. So that's that's a case in that. But so it's voluntarily whether they come to yeah. see you. Oh, okay. So the pure evil ones are probably not going to even bother because they're pure evil. I would guess. Probably, but. But you don't know. Yeah, you never really know. And, I mean, that that's one of the things about prison. That's one of the things about life, you yeah. know. How do I know who you truly are, hmm. you know. Um, but with with that case, you know, and, and I mean, I you know, we don't know exactly if he did it. I, don't, I haven't heard that yet. It looks very likely, unfortunately, and, and that's a very sad case. But That's why I brought it up. I mean, I just, you know. We have to deal with these things, and, yeah. and, and, you know, and that's the thing. How do you know who to let out? Uh, we have to take one more break, but I want to ask you if you're involved in the paroling process at all and, and giving evaluations of prisoners, uh, inmates. I'll get it right. <laughs> anyway, so let's take our last break. It's 8.50. If you want to squeak in a call, uh, I always advise call at the beginning of the hour, but it's 623-1330 is the number. I'll be right back with Jeremy Galt. <laughs>
So many topics to talk about with Jeremy Galt, uh, prison chaplain. That, uh, of course, like I say, you have to come back because we have we have many more things to discuss. Well, let's talk about the death penalty. Um, what are your feelings on that, and what does what does the Bible say about it? Um, I actually do believe in it. Okay. Um, I believe that's what the Bible teaches. Okay. Um, some Christians do not believe that, um, but I I do, and one of the reasons is is it comes through with Noah. Um, you know, when Noah gets off the ark, God tells him life for life. You okay. know, and you think about it, that's before the law. That's before Moses. Okay. And when you look at Noah, you know, that's all of humanity there. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things, it follows through. It's the only one that actually is carried out, you know, the Lex Talionis law, the law, life for life, tooth for tooth, arm for arm, and all that that's stuff. That's Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And you look at it, they never, ever followed arm for arm. You never see a guy breaking Middle Eastern arm. countries do. They'll, they'll cut off hands yeah. for theft and things like that. So is that part of uh, Islamic religion? Um, well, not in the prison. They can't do that. Yeah. But, I'm, just saying, you, but I'm, just saying, I'm here. I'm talking about there. Yeah, well, but, that, uh, that's their country. But with, with yeah. the Bible, though, okay. um, what that means is, you know, eye for eye and stuff. It never talks about gouging eyes or anything. What it means is the punishment fits the crime. Okay. And see, like, for example, you know, if you had 100 bucks on you mm-hmm. and I were to steal it from you. Right. Okay. And I were to give you $99.99. Yes. That, that's one of the reasons why the death penalty is there. And people say about, oh, well, abortion and death penalty. I can't believe, you know, Larry King is big on... You know, I can't believe you can't have say you're against abortion than before that. Well, it's the same difference. Okay. It's explain. Life is important. Okay. Life is we're made in the image of God. Life is its own value. It's the most valuable thing we have. Right. And so when you take someone else's, the only thing that can be fair would be for you to give up your own. Okay. And um which is ironic when you look at it and you think about it, but you deal with murderers every day, you know, and you help them and you deal well, with them. Well, if you them. believe abortion's murder, you've got millions of murderers running around out yeah. there, people who have had abortions, uh, or doctors who perform it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how somebody does that, actually, uh, goes in that profession, but, you know, yeah. We've yeah. talked about that in the show, you know, a bunch of times. And um, it's because it's the state's job to do that. Okay. It's not mine. Um, right. I'm not going to be Batman anytime soon. Um or, or Punisher, I guess. Batman doesn't kill, but... Yeah, you're not an executioner. Yeah, I'm not uh, execu- you know. Do you, have you given less rights before executions? No, we don't have that here at this okay. camp. Um, that's only a few places in Florida, and that doesn't get used very often. Okay. Um, but that's that's what the Bible seems to teach, and it talks about Romans 13, about the state being given a sword. And okay. sword mentions is more for, you know, Romans used it for lopping off heads, not for, yeah. you know, stabbing. And so... They have that ability, and it's to say this is what's right. And like you were mentioning earlier, you know, you don't want someone being executed who didn't. That, that's the that's my problem with the death penalty. Yeah, is because you know you're executing the wrong person, and, and some people feel, well, yeah, one or two people might have a problem, but uh, you know, as long as we get all those murderers killed, then you know. And I'm saying, well, if you're in prison for for life, you're in prison for death. You know, you're not getting out. You know, so what's, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't make much of a difference. I don't care when the sentence is carried out so much, you know, as long as that person never gets back on the street. Yeah. Do you have, I think we talked about this a little bit, you don't do paroles, but do you have any effect at all on whether a person gets released any earlier, or do you just kind of work with them? Um, well, they all can get out a little earlier through this thing called game time. What's that? Um, you have a job. Every inmate has a job okay. in prison, um, and then they get paid, if you will. Um, through they get part of their sentence taken off. It's 10 days for every 30, basically. Okay. Um, and so they have that, and it's up to 85% of your time. Hmm. 
And so they get that. And so that's also – it's actually a brilliant idea hmm. um, because you think about these guys, you're going to stick them in this place. Right. Well, you still have to get stuff done, laundry, um, cleaning up the facilities. And that builds some responsibility, too. Bathroom. Yes. And food service. All different types of things need to be done. Mm-hmm. And so it makes the department not to pay for it. They have something to do and keep them out of trouble. But also um, – they get paid for it, which also means they get out early, which means you, you and I don't have to pay for them. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of the good thing. But with them actually getting out earlier, they have a legal department for okay. that. We're almost done. So tell me about the church here you're going to be a minister at. Give the contact for that, and uh, then we're out of here. Okay. It's uh, Billery Baptist Church. We're on 87. It's on the right side on your way out to Navarre. Um, and I'm just going to be starting in July 2nd, but we're looking forward to what God's going to do there. It's going to be interesting. We're really looking forward to it. I'm curious to hear how the difference between working in prison and having a regular ministry is, but we'll, we'll talk about that next time with my, uh, when I get. Dangerously cool. Uh, Sherman set the way back machine for the present. We'll now come back and uh, begin our regularly scheduled program. <clears throat> yeah, I'm back. <laughs> so that is one of the most fascinating interviews I think uh, we ever did on uh, on the Action Radio WBY. And what was so interesting about it is that Jeremy's just a regular person. You know, he's a minister. He's got a family. You know, he was a prison chaplain. I think he's a uh, pastor of church, and uh, um, we'll see what else he's doing. But I'm going to get him back on the show. We actually connected on Facebook right before the show. Again, I was hoping to get him on in uh, in this next hour um, just because I thought it would be fascinating to talk to somebody six years later after just immediately playing their interview and just having that big leap in time. But we're not going to be able to do that today, but that's okay. Uh, you know, someday, well, probably Jeremy will probably be in the 7 o'clock hour because he has a you know regular job working dude, uh, all that kind of stuff. But I just found that fascinating. Because we talk about prisons, we talk about sending people away, but that was a chance to listen to somebody who actually was there in one, working in one, working with these inmates. And as he says, you know, 30% of them get out uh, every year, so uh, they got to go somewhere. And so one of our biggest problems is that the conditions are so bad for people when they get out of prison that, um, you know, they end up back in because nobody wants to hire them. Uh, nobody wants to work with them. Nobody wants to live in the same neighborhood, nobody, especially if they're uh, – uh, sex offender, and I wouldn't want to live with them either. I mean, I, mean, I don't want them in the neighborhood, and I don't have kids. My, you know, my kids grown, but it doesn't matter because just the thought of being around people like that uh, is abhorrent and disgusting to the rest of us. So we got to come up with some kind of a system. I think that people should be able to apply for a job. You know, it, it, it's my same thing. If you're out, you get all your rights back. If you're not uh, safe for the general public to be out, then you don't get out. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's just that simple. This whole idea of good behavior, we're just going to release you because we don't have enough room in the prisons. No, you either build more prisons or you change the the system or you let the people out who are not going to be a danger. I mean, I don't consider people who smoke marijuana a danger to society unless they're driving, getting high and racing down the freeway. But as long as they're you know, getting high on their own, I mean, I don't care. So the whole drug thing, there's so many people who are nonviolent offenders, as they say, have been locked up for uh, illegal drug use. Why would you put them away? You know, now if they're dealing and they're, they're you know, running a gang, that's a different story. But if they're just using illegal drugs, they're doing more harm to themselves than, uh, you know, we can do by just jailing them. So <clears throat> there's a lot of things we can do, alternative sentences, restitution. You know, people that, uh, that shoplift shouldn't be thrown in jail. They should have to work for the store um, and uh, make the money back. <laughs> you know, pay the stuff back, make the money back, make a whole bunch more money back and give the store a certain percentage of their money for the next uh, 
five years, 10 years, something like that. So that, that shoplifting becomes a huge burden, but you don't have to uh, burden the taxpayers by taking up all the space in jail by doing that, but you could do restitution. You could garnish their wages. Say, okay, you, you shoplifted, therefore 10% of your wages for the next five years are going to be taken and given to the store. So don't do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, we can get creative about this, but that, that, uh, that's probably what I'll talk to Jeremy about next time. So we'll open all that up. All right, got a little bit more uh, Waco stuff because it happened and nobody else is talking about it. I've got uh, uh, some some things that are really interesting uh, in this next hour because we had the uh, uh, let me see, let's do a quick little eight fifty. When did I do that? Eight fifty. What's it now? Fifty five. So I guess eight fifty three. I'm trying to make little notes for myself uh, so I know how to do my show notes after the show. Um, but uh, there's a bunch of stuff happening. And one of the things that's being talked about, uh, in fact, uh, Matt Gates, my congressman here, was in a hearing talking to an admiral um, about the fact that, uh, you know, how are we going to go fight China with aircraft carriers, you know, when they're thinking that missiles can destroy an aircraft carrier. So you've got a, a multi-billion dollar aircraft carrier with 5,000 sailors on it can be blown up with a $100,000 missile. Well, that's kind of stupid, <laughs> you know, but, but we, we've been reporting on this show for about three years now that the aircraft carriers are obsolete. There's no point anymore. First of all, uh, if you need aircraft to be in a, in a combat zone, you find a country that's friendly nearby, you base them there. If it, the country's far away, then you refuel them in the air. They do the mission, they go home, back to the air base. They don't go back to the carrier because the carrier might not be there. You know, so the whole idea of, of aircraft carriers, I mean, air, aircraft carriers won World War II. And they became progressively more irrelevant after that. And so, uh, so aircraft carriers were, were fabulous for projecting huge amounts. But we had, I don't know how many hundred we had in World War II. How many do we have now? 10, 15? You know, big nuclear carriers. I mean, they're really impressive, and the, and the, the, the animals love them because they're big, and they cost lots of money, but they're not effective anymore. The other thing that's interesting is uh, um, that uh, fighter aircraft are probably going to be drones you know, or unmanned vehicles after a while. So I'm going to put this question on, on Facebook after the show. Um, you Blue Angels and Thunderbirds fans, would you go watch a show of the Blue Angels or the Thunderbirds if they are flying jet drones and the whole thing was computerized? So it all went perfectly. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just curious. If they all flew the formation, if they had, you know, radar uh, locked in, autopilots, and the computer had designed the show, pre-programmed it into the software, and they flew a perfect show uh, of, of jet drones, would you go see them? I mean, that's our future. It's something to think about. Jet drones for the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds. I'll, I'll put that on Facebook and see what happens. All right. So another article here. Let's get back to the evil of government. This is from Conservative Base. Is the name of the website. Clinton and Biden's massacre. See, they, they at least call it properly. Waco's Branch Davidian Slaughter, a preview of today's evil politicians. And, it, and this was written, uh, uh, Jim Curry, uh, National Association Chief of Police. Oh, that's interesting. It's written by Chief of Police. No, no that's what they talk about. Uh, where's, the, uh, where's the author? Anyway, it's July 20th, 2021. It's only a couple of years ago. Uh, conservative Base, uh, B-A-S-E. And I can't, I guess this is what they're going to talk about. I can't find an author uh, who wrote this. Okay, hopefully um, at some point down the way we'll get it. Anyway, it says the record of the Waco incident documents mistakes. <laughs> what the record from Waco does not evidence, however, is any improper motive or intent on the part of law enforcement. Guess who said that? Guess who said the record of the Waco incident documents mistakes. What the record from Waco does not evidence, however, is any improper motive or intent on the part of law enforcement. Law enforcement, good. Branch Davidians, bad. Who would have said that? Joe Biden said that. He, a U.S. senator from Delaware, uh, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, which issues the Waco Investigation Report. So guess who was on the Waco Investigating Committee? 
Joe Biden. Well, of course, he's not going to report the government doing anything wrong. You know, he's got uh, he's got higher ambitions and plans. Besides, as far as he's concerned, it's okay to take millions of dollars from China and destroy our country. That's okay by him. It's okay by his whole family. It's okay by, okay by the Democrat Party. It's okay by the deep state. That's what they're doing. Next part of the article. In 1993, tanks were used to crush the compound's outer perimeter and outer buildings, private vehicles belonging to the Branch Davidians, and repeatedly rolled over the grave of Branch Davidians' Peter Ghent, despite protests from both Branch Davidians and fellow negotiators. Well, that's interesting. While none of this is acceptable, two of the three activities bear a special examination, the gas and flashbang grenades. So that second part, the tanks, you know, the whole bit, is very different than the picture that Joe Biden tried to paint of the Branch Davidians. It says, while none of this is acceptable, two activities bear special examination, the gas and flashbang grenades. So this is my contention, as well as a bunch of other people, that the poison gas that they put in there, the CS gas, that they said was tear gas and Janet Reno called an irritant, speaking of irritants, um, it was actually a poison gas. It was highly flammable. It was military grade, and it was ignited by these flashbang grenades. So the article says the tear gas used against the compound, (laughs) just what I just said, was military grade a type that can turn toxic very easily. The federal agents knew there were children and even infants in the house, children too small for any gas mask to cover. They shot the grenades in anyway, effectively considering the suffering of the children inside as acceptable, what they call collateral damage. This is why the ATF and the FBI are full of some really sick people. All right? Anybody that was at Waco is a truly sick person. Uh, and we still have to investigate Eric Holder and uh, Merrick Garland, who were the number two and number three people at the Department of Justice when this happened. Then it says, further, flashbang grenades are deadly and certainly violated the spirit, if not the letter, of the ceasefire. So they actually had a ceasefire, which is kind of interesting in itself. Uh, and this is, how, this is how the FBI enforces the ceasefires. <laughs> Rather interesting. Then it says, Koresh became concerned with the safety of the group due to increasingly aggressive tactics. All told, 11 people left the Branch Davidian House, all of whom were arrested as material witnesses with one indicted for conspiracy to commit murder. So you either die in the house or they, they grab you in the Justice Department. You know, uh, arrest you makes you uh, testify against your own folks or you're a witness, uh, and they could indict you for murder for, for simply escaping and trying to save your life. Very interesting. Some justice system. Then it says children inside were increasingly unwilling uh, to leave Koresh aside, especially once they learned that the children who had previously left had been separated from the mothers and other women in the group. Uh, who have been caring for them. Isn't that special? And that's from the ATF uh, and FBI attack on the Branch Davidians. Uh, that's, their own, that's their own report. Now, here's the article. It says, in the aftermath of the death and destruction of a religious cult known as the Branch Davidians, well, I don't classify them as a religious cult, a little crazy, but not a cult yet. <laughs> it could have been. Well, hard to know. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is that you don't kill people just because they belong to a cult um, or not. Anyway, it says, then it says an incident that left more than 80 men, women, and children dead from intense gunfire or being consumed by flames. There were no protest marches, no looting or arson by angry Americans. I've got a siren going by. There were no Democrats making speeches against the Clinton White House and no calls for the Attorney General Janet Reno to resign. No agents from either the Federal Bureau of Investigation or the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, through the FBI and the ATF, were criminally charged for excessive use of force, nor were any of them fired. The news media, which was already in the bag for the Democrats, lied and spun the news coverage to coincide uh, with the false statements made by the Justice Department and the Clinton White House. So, in other words, there were no consequences for what happened there. None. Nobody paid a price. Nobody was even fired. 
So they gassed and burned uh, 80 people, bulldozed them into the ground, and not a single person in the government suffered anything. That's the problem. Article says the Branch Davidian uh, cult, they keep calling him a cult, I'll just use that out of convenience, uh, led by the charismatic leader David Koresh, was a group of white Texans who were armed as per their Second Amendment rights. Yet the left-wing Democrat Party decided armed white religion members were a threat to the U.S. government and the American people. And that's from Matthew Hayes, former member of the Texas Rangers. Another quote, meanwhile, this same Democrat Party and some Republicans are today allowing a section of Seattle to be occupied by armed thugs from Antifa, uh, the anti-fascists allegedly, which aren't, uh, Black Lives Matter, and other Democrat Party and George Soros supported anti-American groups. Well, that's interesting, too. That's the CHAZ, we've, uh, the, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. I, this was written two years ago. Don't know if it's still there, but uh, it certainly was two years ago. Then it says Senate hearings were held with the usual pro-government results. The chairman, Senator Joe Biden, <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> the chairman, Senator Joe Biden, concluded that the officers that harassed and caused the deaths of these 80 or so Davidians, including women and young children, were not guilty. Isn't that big of Joe? So no matter what Joe Biden does, he's not going to care. This is why um, when the, the, the transgender murderer uh, killed those people in the, uh, the Christian school, uh, Joe Biden didn't call the parents of the victims. He did call the, the parents of the, the young black man who was shot by the 84-year-old uh, when he was on his doorstep. Uh, so those parents were called. So it's very selective. So if Joe Biden has another Waco and a bunch of people are killed because of Joe Biden, he's not going to care. He's going to say, well, the government was right. So no matter what the government does, however many people they kill, I mean, why do you think he could do those, those vaccine mandates so easily that killed how many hundreds of thousands of people uh, or will kill hundreds of thousands of people? Why? He doesn't care. He doesn't care because the government's always right, uh, especially if it pays them all kinds of millions of dollars for his own corruption. So he doesn't care that he's breaking the law either. Why should he care that the government breaks the law? Anyway, so he says that, uh, okay, the supervisors were praised for this. Oh, yeah, here we go. Chairman, Senator Joe Biden, chairman of the committee investigating Waco. Great. Concluded that the officers that harassed, okay, uh, they said they were not guilty. The supervisors were praised. This is what the, the Joe Biden reported from his committee. The supervisors were praised for their service to our country, promoted, given pay raises, and sent on vacation, while the grieving families of the dead victims were trying to make funeral arrangements. That's your government, folks. Then it says the United States appears to uh, some Americans to be on the brink of something that in the past was the theme of many works of fiction, including books and motion pictures about the end times, the terrifying 1984, the overly violent Clockwork Orange, a disturbing uh, Handmaid's Tale, the realistic doomsday thriller Children of Men, and other works that provide readers and moviegoers with a glimpse of what mankind will eventually face when governments topple and tribalism replaces the greatness of liberty and freedom with distrust, extreme cynicism, mob rule, and routinely violent civil disobedience, which is kind of where we are now, right? It says, during the past three presidential administrations, George Bush, Barack Obama, and current President Joe Biden, well, I doubt that, uh, Americans have witnessed the slow but steady decline of the great political experiment that was the United States constitutionally protected representative republic. See, this is why I formed Action Radio to get our republic back. Working on it. Help me share the shows, share the bills, and uh, you'll be doing your part. Don't ask much. I just ask that you share the shows and share the bills. That's it. We'll do the rest. Then it says, starting with the last election cycle, there were groups of radicals who fearlessly attacked the nation's conservatives in what seems like a throwback to the 1960s campus protests and street riots in the biggest and most populous cities in the U.S. Once the election was over, 
these same groups, their leaders, the news media, this is the 2020 election, their leaders, the news media, and the entertainment industry continued their hateful verbal attacks, physical attacks on anyone opposing them, an expansion of the once independent broadcast and print news outlets that is now recognized as being the propaganda machine for the Democrat Party. The media also shills for the radical left, the secret and mysterious deep state, a.k.a. the shadow government, and the already deeply entrenched radical Muslims. Muslim refugees are allowed into the U.S. with open arms despite their threat to the lives and property of the American people. We'll look at uh, Obama, you know, who basically ordered, I'm sure, the surrender in Afghanistan and ordered the, uh, the, all those weapons go to the Taliban and other Muslim uh, groups. They're selling them now. They're using them now. That was, a, uh, that was a gift from, I believe, Obama to, uh, to the Taliban. I mean, I, I don't know if Biden thought of it himself. He certainly wouldn't have been able to oppose it with Obama telling him what to do. But that, I think, is what happened. Anyway, it says that, and of course, they brought in hundreds of thousands of Afghanis that nobody knows who they are. They were just brought in because Obama wants more Muslims in the United States. Why? Because he hates this country. He hates Christians. He hates, uh, probably hates white people. I don't know. He could be a racist. Uh, he, he's in, he hasn't said anything overtly, but uh, I wouldn't doubt it. It's something interesting to find out. Is Barack Obama a racist? Let's find out. Uh, certainly by his actions. He, he certainly is anti-American. He hates Americans. He's not a nationalist. He's the opposite. He's a national destroyer. All right. Then it says, uh, he says, Muslim refugees are allowed into the U.S. with open arms despite their threat and to the lives and property of the American people. So, too, are undocumented illegal aliens from Mexico and other Central American countries who possess higher violent crime rates than most of the Middle Eastern countries. That's interesting. A newswithviews.com news story written by political correspondent Jim Curry. Oh, that's where they're mentioned up top. That's K-O-U-R-I. Quoted then Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal as saying he accused former President Barack Obama and other political leaders of waging war against religious liberty and education and saying that a rebellion is brewing in the U.S. with people ready for a hostile takeover of the nation's capital. That's horrible. You know, and of course, people are going to say, well, that was January 6th. No, it wasn't. That was part of a coup. That, uh, that was a, uh, well, we've talked about that. Then it says, while Governor Jindal, a Republican, didn't elaborate, you know, many believe he was warning citizens that the federal government, quote, deep state, is actually provoking a rebellion. That they are doing. I believe that. Anytime, uh, you know, it, it looks very clear to me that, and they're trying to do that, that that's what January 6th was partly about, is trying to uh, create a war uh, between, um, you know, patriots and uh, deep state, you know, government types. Uh, globalists and nationalists. Anyway, as so those who study national politics and security believe that Barack Obama and his, consor- his, slow down, Greg, his consortium of left-wing radicals, Islamists, and one-world government operatives are hoping that American citizens will take to the streets in droves while armed and demanding to be heard by oppressive government elites who no longer pretend to adhere to the U.S. Constitution. That makes a lot of sense. Now, of course, the whole reason I formed Action Radio is so that we don't have an armed rebellion. We don't have people in the streets. We don't have riots and things like that. I think the government would like nothing better um, than to, uh, to take a, you know, a rebellion and uh, start shooting people. That's why they have 287,000 armed infantry bureaucrats, you know, millions of guns and billions of rounds of ammunition. Those aren't for use against other countries. They're for use against Americans. So don't give them the excuse. Change the laws. Change the laws they operate by. Deny them the budgets. Get them out of government. Shrink the government. Do it by the very things that they use against us, the laws. 
That's the point of action radio. Okay, I want to do more here. Uh, oh, here we go. Quick article. The Last Refuge. Ragtag bunch of conservative misfits. <laughs> yeah. So this is April 21st, 2021. So again, uh, not that far after January 6th, the term Joe Bama, that's J-O-E-B-A-M-A, is not a meme, it's a reality. This is by Sundance. And Sundance says, those behind the scene are using the Biden administration as an extension of the third term of Barack Obama. See, they knew it then. We all knew it, right? Same people, same policies, same agenda, and same exact goals. As a consequence, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland is duplicating the exact same policy directives as former DOJ Attorney General Eric Holder. And I would add both of whom learned their craft from Janet Reno at Waco. Back to the article. The people in place are identical. The actions they take are identical. The purpose of their activity is identical. The DOJ is particularly weaponized, politically weaponized, excuse me, to achieve ideological goals. Well, they knew it then. The same thing's happening now. So you've got the worst possible people in the world, Janet Reno, Eric Holder, and Merrick Garland. Uh, Janet Reno's dead. She's passed on. But uh, the people that she trained, you know, uh, Eric Holder went on to become our worst attorney general. Uh, and then Merrick Garland went on to become our worst attorney general. And I don't know who's worse. They're both bad. I'd say Merrick Garland is worse. He's much more of a tyrannical terrorist. Eric Holder, uh, at least the Congress had a little bit of gumption to stand up to him. Then I, the, the, you know, the fact that, Eric, that uh, Merrick Garland is still the attorney general uh, is disgusting. You know, God help us if he become on the Supreme Court. And of course, people still think they're a lifetime appointments when they're really just there for good behavior. That's another story. Venice is the most recent example of the synergy happens today with A.G. Garland announcing a DOJ civil rights investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department. Cut to the chase. The result of the investigation will be another municipal authority placed under a federal consent decree. Say that again. The result of the investigation, this is 2021, so it's probably already happened. The result of the investigation will be another municipal authority placed under a federal consent decree. That will happen. The investigation to justify the consent decree is a farce. This is Joe Bama and the Chicago team replicating the same process. The quote is, Attorney General Merrick Garland today announced a new investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department and the city of Minneapolis for possible, it's probably after George Floyd, right? For possible pattern and practice uh, unconstitutional actions. Oh, here we go. This investigation is not related to the already announced investigation into the murder of George Floyd, but is instead examining the entire department for continuous misconduct. Of course, it's related to George Floyd. The fact they said it's not means it is. (laughs) That's what's going on there. So anyway, so that's what they do. So a federal consent decree means that the federal government's in charge. It's like those uh, states in the South that uh, still have to have uh, a consent decree for their elections. They have to prove that they're not racially biased. By what? Letting the Democrats win? By having mail-in ballots? I mean, it's, it's a whole, that's a whole farce under itself. All right. Um, I'm going to take a um, little break here. I want to play some music. I love my Dixieland, so I'm going to play a little Dixieland here. We're sort of vamping. I got time. Or should I play you? Uh, I don't know what might be fun to do. I haven't played this one for a while. This is my, uh, oh, we got uh, uh, Marcos, you know, entering the conversation, leaving the conversation, going back and forth. <clears throat> I played this. It's not one of my best ones, but I still, but I haven't played it for a while anyway. So let me give you my, uh, my chat on uh, Monty Python. If Monty Python, um, what would, how, how they would handle today's racism. I forgot where I put it. I hope it's under Monty Python. We'll find out in a minute. Ah, here we go. So I'll play this for you. Be right back in just a little bit. 
Hello, and welcome to Action Radio Presents How Monty Python Might React to a Charge of Racism. Imagine, if you will, two men approaching each other on a sidewalk. Hello, hello. Step aside, please. No, I don't think so. You step aside. But I'm in a hurry. So am I. And my time is just as important as yours. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to move first. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Well, then, you're a racist. I'm a what? You're a racist. I am not. You are, too. I'm not. Yes, you are. What makes you think you can just declare me a racist? You aren't the Queen of England. You can't just make declarations like that. Neither are you, but you are a racist. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Wait, you just can't accuse people like that. We have rights, traditions, Magna Carta, common law, evidence man, even for your opinion. We have standards of decency. No, we don't. Yes, we do. Not anymore. What? We have the new normal. We can now just make stuff up as we go. No, you can't. Yes, we can. There are rules to follow. New rules. New rules for a new normal. That's loony. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it came from America, and everything they start ends up here anyway. Oh, that's true. But I'm still not moving. Yes, you are. You have to. No, I don't. Yes, you do. There are rules. Rules? Yes, I called you a racist, and now you have to take a knee. Take a knee? Are you mad? Nope. It will allow me to pass you by. You take a knee. I don't have to. Why not? I called you a racist first. Called me a racist first? So what? So you have to take a knee, apologize for your white privilege, and I'll be on my way. No, you won't. Yes, I will. Nope, I'm not taking a knee. That's only for marriage proposals and being knighted. Neither of which you qualify for, old boy. Yes, you are taking a knee. No, I'm not. Apologize for your white privilege. What? Apologize to you? You're white also. But most of the country is white. Are we going to get on our knees for you? Well, they do in America. No, they don't. Yes, they do. I've seen the videos. Videos, is it? You want me to live out some bizarre fantasy of yours by getting on my knee when I'm not bloody proposing marriage? You certainly aren't giving me a knighthood. We have traditions of individual rights going back almost a thousand years, and all you can say is take a knee. You're mad. No, I'm not. And you're a racist. Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. Well, actually, this is kind of a useful day because I'm able to get to a lot of stories that I otherwise wouldn't. Because we do get to chatting. I like chatting. It's much more fun than reading stories. But there's still a bunch of news that I have to uh, uh, get out to you. Marco's back in the Netherlands, so uh, that's good to know. He's back on live chat. Um, and so something I've been, I've been watching, trends uh, in defense, um, being an airplane fan, um, being a former flight instructor, probably going to do it again. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, maybe I'll just teach friends how to fly my jet. <laughs> I haven't quite decided yet. Um, but uh, the state of the military is quite interesting. And I think one of the biggest changes is going to be that, uh, and we knew this was coming, we knew this several years ago, that uh, uh, Air Force, Navy, and Marine pilots will be out of their airplanes because they're going to be taken over by drones. Drones are cheaper. Uh, drones don't have to have a cockpit with oxygen, with ergonomics, 
Uh, they, they, uh, the fuel can be totally different. Uh, they, uh, they, they can take unlimited G-forces, whatever the equipment can stand. And so airplanes, uh, in terms of combat, uh, and they can fly for hours and hours. They don't need a restroom, bathroom. <laughs> they don't need uh, provisions for food. They don't need anything. The drones, right? So they're just uh, machines. And so they can be programmed from the ground. They can be flown from thousands of miles away by satellite. Uh, in fact, we may have entire ships with nothing but drone aircraft. Uh, and if uh, anything happens to them, if they crash, if they burn, if they uh, get blown up by a missile, it's a drone. Nobody's on board. It's just money. And, you know, we know the government's got plenty of that, uh, plenty of our money. And so if a drone gets lost, who cares? It's a machine. It's like, it's like when uh, an old car breaks down and gets taken to the junkyard. You know, it's gone. But uh, we're not losing a life over it. So my question is, <laughs> this is a question I'll be asking on Facebook. Would you go see the Blue Angels? Uh, or the Thunderbirds, our, our great uh, aviation demonstration teams, uh, if they were flying drones, if there were no pilots on board, if, if they were just jets with, uh, you know, automation run by a computer. You know, they'd still be noisy. They'd still be exciting. they still fly fast. they still do crazy maneuvers. Um, but uh, there'd be no people on board. I mean, I think part of the attraction is that there's people on board. There's real people flying those airplanes for real, you know, three feet apart. That's exciting. I think it would lose a lot if they were all drones, computer programmed. But I don't know. Uh, let's... Uh, We'll see what uh, Facebook thinks. And if you want to comment on that, go to live chat. Live chat's right there on the screen. You get a free account. Just, uh, you know, check in and away you go. All right. So I found an article from the Center for Security Policy. AI fighter jets, that's artificial intelligent fighter jets, the future of the U.S. military, question mark, written by Maya Carlin, um, M-A-Y-A-C-A-R-L-Y-N. She doesn't strike me as a, as a defense analyst. Usually they're guys, right? And they're, they're crusty old general types. They look old. And she's young and attractive, but apparently she likes military stuff. So uh, who am I to judge? She says, although uncrewed airframes are unlikely to replace all human pilots on the aircraft carrier deck, the prospects for inclusion of autonomous fighter jets appears inevitable. Yeah, I think the rescue planes are probably the, the ones that keep uh, pilots the longest because they're going to have to uh, you know, help, the, help the folks they recover. Uh, and uh, a pilot uh, of an airplane is more likely to search longer than a machine that can be instantly recalled and doesn't have a conscience because it doesn't care, right? Anyway, she says, in order for the U.S. to reestablish air superiority over its adversaries, the Air Force and Navy are working to achieve their respective next-generation fighter fleets. Last month, the Navy requested more than $1.5 billion to build its top-secret sixth-generation fighter, the FA-XX. What, was the F-35 obsolete already? I told you it was a turkey. Anyway, it says expected to replace the fleet's uh, the fleet's fleet. <laughs> That's redundant. The fleet's fleet of FA-18E and F Super Hornet airframes. I thought they were new. Guess not. The new jet intended uh, is intended to serve as the uh, service's quarterback for both human crewed and uncrewed future carrier operations. Crewed and uncrewed. Oh, that's interesting. So what? Some have windows and some don't. Just curious. It says unmanned aerial uh, vehicle UAV development and capabilities have skyrocketed in recent years. So has the military's acceptance that these autonomous planes may be the future of America's aerial fleets across the board. Yeah, I described a scenario to Dr. Price several years ago where we talked about uh, a drone air force uh, controlled by supercomputers where entire you know, fleets of airplanes were flying against other fleets of airplanes in a drone war. And again, no humans were, were on those planes. So if they got shot down, it was just money. Money and machines, of course, those machines could shoot down, could sink ships that did have people on it. So that's a problem and do all kinds of things, carry nuclear bombs, you know, that kind of stuff. Anyway, article says the director of the Air Warfare Division within the office of the chief of naval operations revealed that the service plans to achieve a 60-40 unmanned manned split in the future. 
60% unmanned, only 40% manned or woman, depending on how you look at it. She says deploying uncrewed uh, planes in place of human pilots would be cost-effective and reduce loss of life. However, these types of AI fighters have not been tested in battle. (laughs) No kidding. A risk the U.S. may have to take to to stay ahead of its enemies. Uh Uh-huh. Then we go, introducing the MQ-25 Stingray. The face of the new unmanned aerial system is the MQ-25 Stingray, which I'll publish on Facebook in a little bit, but you can look it up. Just look up MQ-25 Stingray. Back in 2006, the Navy first began developing its first aircraft carrier based on UAV. That's unmanned uh, aviation vehicles, I guess. All right. Initially, the Stingray was meant to embody a stealthy strike platform capable of carrying out air defenses. Ultimately, the Navy shifted to prioritize an airframe through intelligence, reconnaissance, and surveillance functions. Yeah, but we see them over the skies of, of America pretty soon, too. Just a thought. The MQ-25 is, expectedly, uh, is expected to be operational cap- operationally capable by 2025. That's only two years. And could deploy uh, aboard a carrier by 2026. Hmm. Designed to sport 15,000 pounds of fuel, roughly 500 nautical miles, uh, the Stingray will exceed the Super Hornet's range by about 300 miles. Hmm. The Stingray's longer range also frees up other airframes that are typically used for aerial refueling duties. Mm -hmm. In recent years, the Stingray has demonstrated its ability to undergo several critical tasks aboard the the carrier USS George H.W. Bush parentheses from me, the elder, <laughs> including refueling-friendly airframes, undergoing direct uh, deck-handling tests at sea, and conducting manned-unmanned teaming tests. Hmm. While the MQ-25 has yet to take off or land, an aircraft carrier, experts predict the plane will have significant impact on the future of naval aviation. Earlier this month, uh, that's from Navy, uh, from a Navy Rear Admiral. Uh, there we go. All right, I had enough of the Stingray. Uh, well, it's almost done anyway, but uh, let me see if I can um, describe, let me get this other airplane here. So let me see what this thing looks like. It's, it, it looks like a torpedo with foldings. It's got an orange, it's blue, the rest of it. It's really quite an interesting plane. MQ-25, the Navy plans to extend uh, the attack range of aircraft carriers. So if the aircraft carriers don't have uh, manned airplane, airplanes, what's going to happen? Anyway, it says, recently the MQ-25 Stingray finished his first demonstration on board an aircraft carrier. The test demonstrated that the unmanned aerial drone could move seamlessly and simply on the aircraft carrier's deck while being controlled remotely by its operators. Well, that's interesting. This is a significant milestone for the Navy's future fueling platform. So they're putting this thing on an aircraft carrier. There's nobody on board. Somebody somewhere on the ground floor. What if they get distracted for a minute? Yeah, I mean, I just I just think about things like that. Anyway, so that's what's going on there. Do you want to do any more today or have I had enough? I got that. I got that. I got that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's what's going on in the Air Force. Let me, let me play one more thing. I'll give you one more article. Then I'm, I'm going to be out here early today because 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 nobody's and uh, I don't I don't care. So play a little jazz. I'm get my favorite little jazz selection here. Get you some good good jazz to kind of get you. Good. Uh, then I'll come back with uh, government censorship. And I think that'll do it for today. We covered the news. Covered most of the things that I want to cover. And so I don't mind stopping a little early. Let's see if I can find my where's my music. Music collection. You guys want for some Dixieland? I want to take a little break from the, the crazy stuff here. Oh, it's not there. Where it's under M for music. I got that one. I got that one. I'll play a little Tchaikovsky. I got that one. That one. I've already played that one. Play some Beethoven. That's too slow. I don't like the cello suite. Yeah, I got some jazz. All right, back in a few minutes.
with a whole new topic.
Well, that ought to wake you up. So uh, I'm one of those rare guitar players that plays along to jazz like that. Dixie like jazz, swing, things like that, because I grew up with that stuff. You know, I grew up listening to Benny Goodman and uh, Glenn Miller, a uh, bunch of Broadway shows, things like that, before I discovered rock and roll. Um, that's what we did, you know, in school. My band director was a, a World War II radio operator who was a, a Saxon clarinet player in swing bands. So that's, that's what we all had in school in, in the music program. So I didn't get rock and roll. This is done on you until uh, college. You know, when I was about 17, it's all of a sudden I discover all this guitar stuff. I'm like, whoa, especially Sultans of Swing and Greengrass and High Tides. Uh, those are the two songs that convince me to play guitar. Now I can play Sultans of Swing pretty well. I still cannot play Greengrass and High Tides. I have, it just Huey Thomason was a genius. So uh, I haven't quite figured out how to do that. All right. I got one more article here uh, and then I'm done. <laughs> so I've got all the news. Again, board reading articles. So if you don't want to talk to me, I'll just go home. No problem. So this is from The Federalist. And it says, Meet the Shadowy Group that ran the federal government censorship scheme. This is by Margot Cleveland, April 19th, yesterday. So this is brand new. Uh, and it says, the biggest concern is what GEC paid park advisors to do, fund and censorship of American speech, and are supposedly free press. That would include me in Action Radio. Who are, we are horribly censored right now. So if you help us out with that, share our show. If you share the show with enough people and enough other people share the show, we'll do the censorship. If you don't share the show constantly, if you don't share this with other people and they don't share the show constantly, we'll never break through the censorship until some you know, really rich person foundation or Donald Trump uh, endorses us. That's kind of where we're headed. Anyway, she says the State Department's Global Engagement Center, that I guess would be the DEC, used a cutout corporation headed by former uh, intelligence, uh, former intelligence officer to fund and promote the blacklisting of conservative media outlets and other censorship uh, endeavors re- researched by the Federalist Reveals. It's kind of awkwardly written, but uh, basically the Global Engagement Center from the State Department, a bunch of left-wing communists run that. No, I took the Foreign Service test. I interviewed with the State Department for the Foreign Service. A bunch of left-wing communists run the place. I mean, that, that's who the, you know, it's like take your, your most nerdy high school librarians. Elon Musk gave a group of independent journalists access to internal Twitter communications. The resulting Twitter files quickly revealed the existence of a censorship industrial complex that included an array of federal agencies colluding with social media companies to censor disfavored speech. Again, that would be us. One of many federal players was State Department's Global Engagement Center, or GEC. But GEC did much more than cajole tech giants to censor viewpoints the government didn't like. As the Feds previously reported, the GEC funded the development of censorship tools and used government employees to act as sales reps, pitching the censorship products to big tech. Further investigation into its operations now reveals the government GEC used one or more for-profit businesses to lead four separate censorship initiatives with contractors at times engaging in inherently governmental functions. In other words, turned uh, people to state actors, turned private companies into government actors that couldn't be charged with violating the Constitution. But of course, they can. Then we got the graphic. It says provide, from GE provides uh, a simple summary of its technological engagement team, uh, TET initiatives. But Disinfo Cloud, that's D-I-S-I-N-F-O, Disinfo Cloud provides the best entry point to understanding GEC's other activities. And a lot of acronyms here. You got the article. Then it talks about the disinfo, that's the disinformation. 
So disinfo, they put their own cloud. Disinfo cloud casts a big shadow. So according to the GEC's webpage, disinfo cloud is a platform that acts as a repository to catalog an ever-growing CPD tools and technologies. When CPD standing for countering propaganda and disinformation, uh, while originally available only to .mil and gov use, access was later open to the private sector. Well, isn't that special? Then as part of a Silicon Valley engagement initiative, GEC social media companies to join Disinfo Cloud, which helped users identify technology for censoring Speech. In other words, the government's engaged in censored speech. They're getting private companies to do it. They actually have sales reps. They're selling tools so that private companies can better censor us. Well, they should jail. Anyway, back to the deal. This has huge First Amendment implications, more than implications, because although many details of info clouds operations and funding remain obscure, it's clear U.S. tax dollars fund both the platform development and maintenance. So basically, they're stealing our tax dollars to fund uh, their own censure against us. Hmm. Article says the State Department spokesman previously explained that an outside group, Park Advisors, managed Disinfo Cloud, we'll have to look up advisors, awarding the group approximately $300,000 to manage the platform. Christina Nimmer, N-E-M, a former State Department employee, of course, who had been a founding member of the, of the Countering Violent Extremism Program, served as the director of Park Advisors and the administrator of DisinfoCloud. Isn't that special? So while DisinfoCloud is an EC initiative, it appears Park Advisors and Nemer controlled the platform at DisinfoCloud, which has since been shuttered. Not sure what that means. Park Advisors have also been recently removed the content of its webpage, leaving only the landing page. I'm not sure what that means. A still available video, however, shows Nimmer explaining the repository. I don't know how much more of this I want to read. <laughs> it's, it's kind of getting complicated. But you get the idea. Let me just put it that way. So the government, just to just to summarize here, the government is using our tax dollars to censor us, to censor platforms, to censor social media, to censor radio shows like like Action Radio. Uh, censorship is so bad that. Um, you know, even though we have 50-some-odd countries living and a pretty big audience in the United States, it's nothing to what it could be. I, I, would, I would imagine the audience could be 10 to 20 times larger than it is right now if we could get them under the censorship. That's up to you. I mean, I'm doing everything I can, but it's really up to you. It's up to me to see if I can get Trump's endorsement. That would be fabulous. It's up to you to share the shows and share the bills. The latest bill, our, our most effective bill of late, is right there at writeyourlaws.com. Click on legislation, click on all proposed laws, and you'll see right up top, uh, I think it's number two right now, um, our bill that stops pharmaceutical uh, prescription drug advertising. Um, that's it. stops advertising. It's about four sentences long. I looked at it last night. So that's the main thing to do. Anyway, so that's, that's it. I've got, like I say, 20 left, but uh, unless I want to play you an interview. And one more thing I can play for you. I mean, I've kind of done this before. Let's... Uh, yeah, I do this every periodically. Let me get you my Matt Gates interview. I think this Matt Gates interview is so interesting. Uh, first of all, it's uh, let me get the part one. There's 12 minutes. So that would be perfect. Um, this was my last interview with Matt Gates. This is the one where um, it was July 5th. Wrote the bill on the air mandating the citizenship question on the census. So that bill on the 
Uh, that was on a Thursday. That Friday night, I had it all posted and written up and put it on writeyourlaws.com. Saturday morning, I sent it to Matt Gates. That, that is about when Matt Gates answered emails. <laughs> so then uh, he responded on the show that Tuesday that uh, this is a viable way for citizens to get legislation to members of Congress. Then we talked about a rally, talked about other things. I talked about the FBI, I'm uh, pretty sure. But uh, the one thing that he said that sticks in my mind that I want to talk to him about again, hopefully he'll be in his district this weekend, I think, um, is that, uh, that citizen legislation is, is viable. And maybe he can get it to Donald Trump. And maybe we can get our endorsement, and then we can get with the Trump campaign. And then maybe we can have a real impact on this country. I mean, that's what we're going for. That's, that's the whole goal here. I'm not sitting here just talking to myself. You know, we've got, uh, we've got big plans. So let me play this interview, and I'll, then I'll shut it down for today. It's a good interview. Judge for yourself. See what you think. And we'll talk for a little bit after that, and then I'll be done. Here we go. Uh, there we go. And if you hear Tom Petty on a Tuesday morning at 7.35, that means it's time for Congressman Matt Gates. In our last report until after the election, Congressman, we've got to put you on hold for a while. So, uh, so this is it. So, so let's hear as much news as we can during our, our chat this morning. Well, we certainly have plenty of news to discuss. Uh, wanted to first, though, thank you for coming out to the rally we had with Sean Hannity recently. We haven't gotten a chance to speak since then, but, you know, I, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. And I didn't realize how funny Sean Hannity was. I, I thought he'd come and give a political speech and uh, endorse my candidacy for Congress, but I didn't realize he had so many impressions of, uh, you know, Mark Levin and Rush Limbaugh and Bill Clinton. It was pretty uh, a pretty good time. You know, in fact, I hadn't uh, heard the impressions. I've listened to Sean for years, and so, uh, in fact, I hope to meet him at some point. So if, if you ever can sort of match us up some way and throw some action bills, action radio bills this way, that would be fabulous. But, yeah, he is a great entertainer, just a good all-around person, and a genuinely uh, nice man. So, uh, you know, it was good to see him again. Absolutely, and I was grateful that, you know, he would take one of his few days off and come campaign with me in North Florida. And uh, we definitely showed him that Sean Hannity has a lot of fans. Community. So that was a great thing, and it's good to be uh, working side-by-side side with Sean to try to expose uh, some of the activity going on. But there'll be a lot of that in Washington this week, Greg. We've yep. got Lisa Page giving an interview this week, and then all of America will hear from Peter Strzok. This is the individual who opened up the Trump-Russia investigation, who then uh, was also involved in clearing Hillary Clinton and then ended up on Robert Mueller's probe before his text messages came out showing how biased he was. Yeah. So, uh, it'll be an interesting week there. And then, of course, uh, I'm very proud of the president's selection for Supreme Court. I think that, uh, that uh, Judge Kavanaugh is a jurist who will interpret the Constitution. You won't want to make law from the bench. And we've really got a, an opportunity now to reshape the court for a generation. Yeah, it's fascinating what's happening right now. Peter Strzok, though, is, is, is interesting to me. Can you just ask him point blank how much involvement President Obama had, what he knew, when he knew it, and same thing with, uh, with Hillary Clinton as both Secretary of State and as a candidate, what she knew and when she knew it? Well, I, I don't know that we're going to get straight answers to those questions. I mean, Peter Strzok has proven to be someone who has a problem with the truth, who's willing to manipulate the truth. Uh, you know, I... Uh, I'm really going to focus on the uh, Robert Mueller involvement in all of this. And uh, what struck me as very odd was that when, when Mueller found out about these text messages, mm -hmm. he didn't ask the FBI lovebirds about them. He didn't ask about what they meant, about whether or not the investigation had been compromised. 
And you don't, you only don't ask those questions if you don't want to know the answers. Yeah. Here's a thought I just had. Do you think that the Mueller Commission or the Mueller Committee report is the insurance policy that Peter Strzok was talking about? Yes. Yes. I believe the whole investigation, the whole Russia narrative, every facet of the Mueller uh, you know, beginning mm-hmm. was what was contemplated as the insurance policy against the Trump presidency, against the selection made by the American people. Yeah. Are you going to get to ask that to him? Uh, what's that? Are you going to get to ask him that question? Yeah, I expect I will. I I want to I want to be able to go through that, and I want to understand the complete lack of curiosity by Robert Mueller. Yeah, I wish we had more public hearings. I wish we had uh, something similar to the like the church hearings with the CIA. Um, do you anticipate more FBI hearings uh, as things go on? Yeah, I think that I think that we could have Comey in. I think okay. we could have Lynch in. I think that that uh, there are other uh, Obama officials that we're probably going to want to hear from. So I I think it's going to be a busy month in the House Judiciary Committee. And I think we've got a lot of people we need to ask tough questions to. You have to follow it all the way up to President Obama. Otherwise, we're never going to know the the whole story. Um, But I have another question for you, and I think I've asked you this before. On the FBI, do you think it needs some kind of overhaul or the theory I've I've put forward that you split investigation and leave that federal and maybe take enforcement out or or some kind of restructuring, or do you want to leave the FBI as it is? Uh, We cannot leave the FBI as it is because we cannot allow the system to continue to be infected by bias. Okay. There has to be more transparency, more oversight, more redundancy, and I think that we have to start setting consequences when the FBI doesn't turn over records to Congress when it deals with their own conduct that's in question. And so, yeah, I, I think that when this is uh, over and said and done, uh, we could probably do that in a bipartisan way, mm-hmm. Greg. I think that Republicans and Democrats both have an interest in making sure that we've got a justice system that isn't infected by politics. And so when we when we finally come to the Donald Trump's presidency, is not going to be interrupted by this witch hunt investigation. Hopefully the Democrats will work with us because there are actually a few Democrats who have some good ideas about transparency, uh, but they're unable to advance them because they can't see past their own partisan lens at this time. Yeah, and that's the problem. And, you know, if you look back at Watergate, the, a lot of that was run by Republicans. You know, Howard Baker investigating a Republican president. So they, they put politics behind them and actually did the right thing. And then hopefully you can inspire, you know, Democrats to do the right thing to, to follow this through. Um, but I want to change the subject a little bit. We had a big discussion on the show July 5th about this judge who wanted to uh, allow these lawsuits to go forward to take the citizenship question out of the census. We actually wrote a bill with the callers here, and then I wrote it up that night yeah. and sent it to you over the weekend. And any follow-up with that? Anything happened with that? Uh, actually, I, I love some of the ideas that were there. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many of them required legislation or how many of them the Trump administration can implement. Okay. And so, uh, you know, we, we have reached out. Uh, we've also reached out to the Florida Department of State uh, on that question, because, look, we've got to be able to ask people if they're citizens of this country, mm-hmm. if they're here legally. I mean, if we start going down the road where we're not even allowed to ask the question if people are in our country legally, then we start to normalize this lawless conduct. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's really uh, central to the success of the Trump presidency to get the border secured. I know we've done a lot on enforcement, but if we continue to look the other way, if we don't do E-Verify, if we don't end chain migration, uh, you know, I'll view it as a failure, as a missed opportunity, because 
we've got the shot now. We should be able to do it. Yeah, and we actually call for proof of citizenship, not just asking the question, but have verified proof, whether it's passport, naturalization papers, birth certificate, yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah now, you can't just be a note from your mom or your <laughs> I mean, it's, you know. Well, here's the thing, too. That's a big bill. If you split that up, if you wanted to just maybe file part of it and get back to us, but anything you can do to get part of that or even show some to the president and say, this is what you know, constituents in Florida are saying, you know, all of, all of this is good for, for our citizen legislature and shows that we are a, a viable uh, a prospect here that we can get, that we can just have regular folks come up with ideas. I can get them directly to you. You can maybe get from the president, other members of Congress, and we can legislate. We can bypass all the special interest groups and the money and the lawyers and the donors and everything like that and have direct input uh, into the government. Yeah, well, I mean, you've already seen that happen on oversight. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the oversight ideas, you know, I, gosh, we weren't even holding hearings on these questions, Greg. Yep. When when you and I started having these discussions last year, that, one year anniversary, the <laughs> committee has got to hold open hearings. They've got to call people forward, and they've got to start an investigation of this yeah. because uh, when we began, uh, you know, before Action Radio, there there was a theory that we would all just sit back and wait uh, for Robert Mueller and whatever he did, he did, and it was only kind of through you know the suggestions we got through Action Radio. And really, from people all over the country, that yeah. we said, no, we gotta, we gotta peel back a few layers of this onion and see what really happened here. So we've seen it in oversight work, and there's no reason it wouldn't work uh, to try to get some laws changed. Well, congratulations to you and to Congressman DeSantis and to Congressman Jordan and all the folks that are uh, doing everything they can to fight a fight that is not popular, even with uh, a lot of Republicans, especially the leadership. Well, you see what they're doing to Jim Jordan. Well, that's this is this, and this is why I had this bill that I, I'll send you again too. You know, it's like any time a congressperson does something good or somebody's running for office, you get the obligatory Democrat sex scandal. I mean, this is just so predictable; it's ridiculous. And then the accusations go away after the election or after whatever happens. You know, Congressman Jordan's up for possible election as speaker, and he's extremely effective at what he does in Congress going yeah. after the FBI. And this is what happens. You get, a, you get a, you know, a bogus sex scandal. It's so bogus. And Jim Jordan is not accused of, of doing anything improper. He's accused of not knowing something that some people think he should have known 28 years ago. Yeah, what so, is that? I mean, my question is, how is Jim Jordan supposed to prove mm-hmm. that he didn't know something 28 years ago? I mean, it's just, it's an impossible position to be in, and I am absolutely certain that Jim Jordan uh, is having these allegations come out because he's one of our best members at conducting oversight. Yeah. And so they're going after our best players with this, with this crap, and it's really frustrating. But, and I think it's a message to the mm-hmm. rest of us that if you ask tough questions, if you demand uh, answers from the FBI, that, that you know, there are people out there, I'm not saying in our government, probably outside our government, but there are people out there who will make your life miserable. And it's really not good for the Congress and not good for the country. So more people have to ask more tough questions. You know, say, hey, we're not stopping. You're, not, you're just going to make us bolder. This is what happens with me. You, you stand in my way, I get angrier. Um, is good. There, is, thank you. Is there any kind of House ethics rules or due process regarding these accusations or allegations to maybe protect someone, like we have for, for criminals who are, or for people who are accused well, of crimes? There, yeah, I mean, there is a process in the House of Representatives when people are accused of unethical conduct, mm-hmm. where there's an investigation. There, there are not many due process rights because it's not a court of law, right. but that process has not even been triggered as it relates to Congressman Jordan. With Congressman Jordan, he's essentially being tried in the media, mm-hmm. and he's, he's completely unable to defend himself because 
again, like, how do you prove a negative? I mean, I'm just sitting there thinking, if someone accused me of knowing something that I didn't know 28 years ago, how could I, what would be the way I would develop the evidence to show I didn't know it? It was I mean, guilt, is guilty it, until proven innocent. You had, how you, if you're already judged guilty until proven innocent for something you didn't know, that, that's an impossible standard. It, it really is, and I think that's why this is how these allegations have manifested. Yeah. Jim Jordan is such a good man. He's been fighting the fight. Uh, he's one of my mentors here in the Congress. Yeah. Uh, he's actually, uh, I can break a little bit of news, in the month of August, he's going to come down and campaign with me in northwest Florida. So northwest Florida, people will get a chance to see him and meet him, what a good uh, good guy he is. That would be great. But, uh, but, but it's just, um, it shows you how... Um, there are there are some very dedicated people in Washington that are working against the Donald Trump agenda, mm-hmm. and they are willing to do anything to stop people who are making the changes that we've got to make to save this great country. Yeah, we. The, oh, it's amazing what we're covering today. We have less than a minute, um, about forty-five seconds. I'll leave it to you, and then we have to go. Well, uh, people need to be out there talking about uh, the good virtues of uh, Judge Kavanaugh. I think that. The left is going to come after him with a visceral hatred. Uh, they're going to spend millions of dollars. And uh, I'm hoping that Northwest Floridians, you know, uh, at church, at the water cooler, at the store, will be talking up uh, the value of reshaping the court in the way of constitutional conservatives. It's why so many Republicans and conservatives voted for Donald Trump, because they really believe he would deliver on these promises. And I'm so proud of the nominee. So a great time. And if listeners don't hear me for the next 45 days, it's not that I didn't want to call in. It's that uh, your radio station has a policy of, I guess, not uh, not having folks uh, uh, too close to an election. That and that we election. have to go right now. the wrong one <laughs> that's okay I, was, I should have played the other one you know this is the well i'm not gonna do it now anyway but uh that's how it was now just to put that in, in context that was from 2018 it was july of 2018 and so when he's talking about the election they're talking about the midterms and uh, the irony of that is that three days later i was taken off the air by the new owners so the owners bought the station uh immediately removed me and here i had just uh, written a bill on the air. You know, we, we actually uh, had uh, made broadcast history. We wrote a bill on the air. Uh, I wrote it up. Uh, it was on a Thursday. wrote it up uh, on a Friday night, got it to Matt Gates, a sitting member of Congress, on Saturday. And there he was on that next Tuesday uh, reporting on the bill favorably. He was taking it to Congress, uh, various uh, state uh, legislatures. He was taking it to the Trump administration. They were deciding, you know, how much they wanted to do um, by regulation and how much they wanted to do by legislation. And there was one bill. We wrote it on the air in an hour. You know, and the, and so so it was, it was on the air in an hour, and by with five days later, I already had a response by a sitting member of Congress. Well, that you want to talk about warp speed? That's warp speed. That's how fast uh, we can act here at Action Radio. So obviously, we need to get Matt Gates back. That was my last interview with him. 
uh, because he hasn't been on Blog Talk yet. Now, I don't know. I don't know what, what's going on. I don't know whether he's getting too busy, too much time, too famous, too whatever. You know, the, uh, the minions blocking, you know, the, the emails. They're not talking to me. Who knows? Whatever it is, you know, I've talked to him in person, you know, a few times since then. So he still knows us. He still knows what we're doing here. But I don't know. Uh, so there's some, there's some kind of glitch. I'm going to see if I can break through uh, and get him back on the show because he is a lot better known. There's a lot more demands on his time. You know, he can do Steve Bannon's War Room. Uh, or he can do action radio, and there's more people you know, listening to Steve Bennett's War Room. <laughs> For now, that's going to change. Uh, but uh, that's where we stand. And so it's going to be interesting to see. But again, we wrote a bill in the air, uh, wrote, put it on writeyourlaws.com, uh, got it to a member of Congress who took it to Congress and the president, all within five days. I mean, that's unheard of in this country. But that's what action radio is. That's what it was designed to do. That's the, the perfect example, and it's the first example of how it was designed to work. And the problem was being off the air, I couldn't help with the 28, uh, 2018 midterms, which I know the House was stolen. Uh, and, of course, after that, the, the, part of the reason I'm sure we didn't hear from Matt Gates for a couple of years is because, you know, between 18 and 20, um, the, the Democrats were in charge. And there was nothing he could do anyway. There were no bills that he could bring forward, no amendments he could bring forward. He had absolutely no power uh, except to ask really good questions and investigations, you know, when the House actually had an investigation that Nancy Pelosi allowed. Well, then they won in 2020 also when they stole the election. They also stole the House and the Senate. And so he had no power then either. So, the, so this is the first time since 2018 that Matt Gates has had any power at all to do anything. So now is the best time to talk to him in terms of getting legislation to him. And the big ones are vaccine product liability, uh, ending big tech censorship, uh, and ending uh, uh, drug advertising, prescription drug advertising. Those are the three medical ones. Well, those are the, uh, well, big pharma, big tech. And then, of course, I want to talk to him about two other bills. One, um, a constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. And two, disarming all the federal bureaucracies. Because there's nothing in the Constitution that says you can be an armed bureaucrat. So they need to give their guns up, uh, give them to the civilian marksmanship program, and they need to be distributed back to Americans, American citizens. Which you have to prove, by the way, to be part of the civilian marksmanship program. That's kind of one of the good things about it. So that's where we stood. So I'd rather play, I'd rather have him on and give you a current interview, but that one's so good just because it encompasses so much. And that was 13 minutes long. So I don't need a lot of his time per week. I just need, you know, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 15 minutes, what, 15 minutes would be good uh, to cover the, the relevant issues. Uh, today we cover Fox News. We, we talk about uh, censorship. We talk about things like NewsGuard, you know, and the Global Disinformation Service. Uh, we talk about the big things. We talk about the World Economic Forum. We talk about mandates. We talk about, uh, you know, our, our constitutional amendment to end uh, Congress's borrowing money. That's huge. All these things he could take directly to President Trump. I mean, that's my goal. So we've got to make that connection. We've got to reestablish it, reestablish it. So if you want to help, especially if you're at the rally uh, at Pensacola uh, Friday at Blue Wahoo Stadium, uh, if you saw where we actually wrote Matt Gates. Um, from the stadium, we, we uh, I got people to go to writeyourlaws.com and then all proposed laws and then pull up our vaccine bill, copy the website to that vaccine bill, uh, then get the get a second browser window which said contact Matt Gates, get his email address, paste in the, the link to the vaccine bill saying, please submit this bill to Congress, you know, Representative Matt Gates, you know, with people's names and emails and the contact information, send it off right there in the stadium. So I don't know how many people did that because they haven't, the, the office hasn't talked to me. Hopefully a lot of people. But you can still do that. Do exactly what I just said, you know, that we talked about in the stadium. You know, you go to, oh, I actually made the whole two, three hours today. It's kind of fun. You go to writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. Click on legislation on the menu bar. 
scroll down three, click on all proposed laws, go to our vaccine bill, our big tech bill, um, uh, if you want, the other bills, the drug advertising bill, the uh, constitutional amendment, uh, and the, the federal disarmament bill. And just copy the links and send them to your member of Congress, uh, your member of the Senate, and media. we got a minute left. Anyway, Marco in the Netherlands, goodbye. Take it easy. Uh, it's been fun. We'll, uh, we'll chat with you next time. Uh, and everybody, have a wonderful day. I played all, the, I played all my ads. I played everything I want to play. So we'll just get our musical selection uh, for the day at this point. God, we're actually getting in on time. I never end the show on time. Today we're going to end on time. But uh, that's it. That's what Action Radio is. That's what we do. That's the potential uh, if we get all the members of Congress listening. But we're not gonna, never going to have that. But we could get uh, uh, a majority of the Republican members listening, hopefully. And we're going to get some Democrats, too, because a lot of our bills, you know, our bills are not really partisan, as they say. So let me see if I can find what I'm going to play for our exit music and uh, be a citizen legislator. Copy the bills you like, send them into media and government, and uh, away we go. I'll see you tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. for our Friday show. Thank you.